to some part, wouldn't it? Didn't even reach the fairway with his tee shot. Knock it in for a round of 69 and a four-shot win. From sunrise to sunset. Rom wins the Masters Marathon. For those people who believe in, in jinxing other players, people, and whatever it may be, Thursday morning, when I was on my on getting on the golf cart to get to this putting green 10 minutes before my tea time, I saw a text from a good friend of mine, Zach Ertz. He, he said the text, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to paraphrase here, but he said, that first green looking like a walk in the park or something like that right now. Ten minutes before I four-putted the start of the tournament. <laughs> so, thank you, Zach. <laughs> Don't ever do that again, please. Whether you celebrate Easter or not, whether you're a golf fan or not, if you happen to turn on the TV from about 8 a.m. onward yesterday, you were treated to the tradition unlike any other and an exciting finish unlike any other as John Rahm rallies back over Brooks Kepka to win his first green jacket. And joking aside, if you've stumbled and fallen in your life, another example of how you can get right back up, plenty of opportunities out there to keep fighting. John Rahm proves that after a four putt to start the tournament goes on to win it all. Hi again, everybody. Jimmy Cook alongside Will Haskett here on the Fan Midday Show. Thanks so much for spending part of your Monday afternoon with us. Plenty of time to get conversations on the Pacers season coming to an end. Colts draft day prep ramping up just outside of two weeks left to go before the fourth overall selection is made. But we begin with Augusta. Nothing like Easter Sunday at the Masters and another exciting finish that sees John Rahm put on the green jacket, Will. Jimmy, good to be here. Uh, glad that we could at least do it on Masters Monday reaction <laughs> where, you know, I'm not going to lie, when I was on these airwaves last week and we were breaking down the tournament a little bit, I thought we could still be watching golf right now the way that that weather forecast played out and they were actually fortunate if that golf tournament was in atlanta on saturday instead of in augusta i don't think they play a single shot hit a single shot and they're trying to get 36 holes in or even more than that because the guys had to finish up round two but it got done yesterday the sun came out it was beautiful so many storylines about that golf tournament we'll talk about them here and before we get into a lot of local stuff which i'm obviously passionate about i've come on i'm only on these airwaves four times a year talking about majors because I live here, but I'm such a diehard when it comes to all the other teams. This is a huge sort of silly season now for all of these Central Indiana teams, whether it's the Pacers wrapping up yesterday or the Colts getting to ramp it up. But yeah, for the rest of the year, I'm calling golf, and this is sort of the week, the 10-day sort of stretch where everybody in my atmosphere, I guess, is asking me about the sport no one's gonna ask me about what's gonna happen at hilton head this week no one's gonna ask me about what happens in new orleans in two weeks but it's yes what happened in the masters and john rahm has been the best player probably over the last eight months he had a little bit of a swoon over the last three or so weeks but this was the first real opportunity for him this year to in front of the largest golf audience of the of the year to say yes look at me i am the most dominant force in sport and the rest of professional golf orbits around me and that's what ended up happening and people can point to you know what the lead was for Brooks Kepka, how the day went we were talking about it before we came on the air you know was it a choke was it not I don't think so it was just a bad round of golf yep. from the very beginning and John Rahman I'm going to steal this from my buddies over at No Laying Up which is one of the best golf podcasts out there 
but they use this analogy for John Rahm, and I think it's so apropos, is he's the yellow world record line when you're watching a swim meet, you know, when you're watching the Olympics. It just is right there in front of everybody. You know what pace it's going to go. It's not going to go crazy fast. It's not going to get away from you. But you know in order to get to it at the very end, you have to do something spectacular to pass it when it matters. Now, that could be you get off to a crazy hot start and you sustain, or you do something wild like, say, Phil Mickelson did yesterday shooting 65. But John Rahm just does everything so well, and he's just always going to be there. And we can sit here for the next hour, three hours, and talk about what it meant for live golf versus the PGA Tour. And yes, there were three live guys that finished in the top five and all of that. But it, it mattered when you, if you want to talk about it, live versus the PGA Tour. It was a 72-hole event yesterday. Majors are 72 holes, not 54 holes like they're playing on live. And John Rahm... The more golf holes you play, the harder it's going to be to beat him. And it just got down to that point. It was a 72-hole tournament, and you could have given Brooks Kepka that green jacket on, I guess, you know, su- Sunday morning after the third round actually wrapped up, but you got to go play another round. And John Rahm just stayed steady with it. And when there was an opening, he capitalized on it. And it was actually kind of boring on the back nine. Yeah. As long as he didn't put it in the water on 12 and didn't put it in the creek on 13, he was going to win that golf tournament. Those are two most consequential moments of the entire tournament because he hit every green until the last and hit it right where it needed to be and made it look I mean they tried to create some drama like oh if Phil Mickelson leader in the clubhouse you know, he could win the Masters and it's like yeah uh, and then you were seeing how John Rahm was hitting it it was awesome it was it was a clinical performance he's got two majors and now we start the hyperbole machine of how many more can he win maybe this year and beyond I was sitting in the chair of degeneracy I proudly sit in that chair uh, 365 days a year uh, I was able to get a small live bit on John Rahm. Nothing too crazy because... I was going to ask how your card went for the week. I had a good not, week. It did not go well for t- for two reasons. One, I did not prepare properly, meaning that most of my bets were outright wins. So we had 40, oh. we had 40 to $45. The matchup market was yeah, perfect. I, I crushed and, the matchup yeah. market. And, and a lot of my buddies were doing the same, and I, I was late to that party, and I, yeah. I didn't jump in. Um, closest that I got was I had Scheffler and Morikawa on like Friday, where I was like, okay, maybe yeah. there's still enough room for separation there, and then that went bust. So I sprinkled a little bit on Rom, just kind of break even before he caught up to Kepka. Um, again, not a crazy successful week for me, but I say that because I didn't put more on Rom, mainly because of how well Kepka played to begin with, and I thought, okay, maybe he could bounce back, yeah. get it together uh, on the final 12 or final nine holes of play. He mentioned after the round. I played average golf. That was not good enough to, to, played, to get it done today. He played exact average yes. golf. He shot 70, what did he shoot, 73 when it was all said and done yesterday? He yep. was one over. No, that's not right. He was 1,100 to begin the round. So where did he shoot? He ended up... Um, was 75? Yeah, he shot 75. Excuse me. So yeah, he shot 75. The average was 73. So he was a, he was worse than average yesterday and lost a lot of shots around the greens. Um, I'm sorry, the live golfers yesterday played average golf. Their, their total was 73 for yeah. their average and a 73 for the field. But yes, yeah, 75 is not going to get it done. Uh, but, you know, John Rahm shoots 69. He shoots in the 60s on a day when that golf course was playing a shot over par. So he did what he had to do. He did it early. He made a couple of birdies on the difficult front nine. And then you put the only guy that could catch him was Kepka. You knew what the number was the rest of the house. So you're going to have to go and shoot 32 in the back. And when you just haven't seen anything good happen throughout the course of that round, it was going to be really difficult. But 
I was doing local radio. I was doing a radio hit in Atlanta on Friday afternoon, and it was after Kepka had already posted his 36 holes, and we knew that the weather was coming in, and the guys like John Rahm were going to get stuck having to come back and finish up the second round before they had to go play right. in the monsoon that was the third round. And I think it was right around the time that play was getting suspended. Kepka was like plus 120, and Rahm was like plus 175, and it was like sort of neck and neck. I actually thought there was value on Kepka at that moment in time because I honestly thought that Rahm and some of those other guys would falter more than they did but there was such separation and there was such talent separation that even though a couple of guys threw their hat in the ring late it was always going to come down to those two guys and Brooks Kepka wants to be in moments where he's competing against the best to try and win the biggest tournaments and he got that and he got beat by the best player on the planet like I mean that's that's the thing you want these tournaments to identify who the best player is and there has been really no doubt most of this year, most of the last eight months, and there's certainly no doubt on a Monday morning after the Masters. What was the most disappointing player performance Rory, for you? Yeah, Rory, yeah, yeah. Rory. That's, 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 Rory. That's the obvious one. Yep. Okay. So I, I, I picked Rory to win last week. I did a fun little eliminator exercise, and I didn't actually, I actually didn't believe it. But I wanted the story so bad that when I came to my final four, which was Rory, Scheffler, Rahm, and Kepka, I actually thought that those were the top four guys in the tournament. So I'm not too mad at the fact that two of the four guys sure. duking it out were the four. And that's easy to say. Like, it's the three best players in the world, plus Brooks Kepka, who just showed us enough last week, given his pedigree and his desire to win that, and his his skill level and health, that he could do it. But... I mean, Rory didn't even bother to show up once. No. It's not even, and he, the weird thing was that he gutted around for an even par opening round, which was better than the last like two or three. He hadn't opened it even or better in a while, and then came out and I said, "That's okay. He's got the better of the draw. He gets to play early. He's going to get done." Like he was with the Kepka draw, yeah, and we never even saw him on Friday. I mean, there's no reason to go show him because it was so bad. He's already withdrawn from this week's PGA Tour event, which was a designated event. Uh, there's other ramifications there because it's kind of required in 2023 of the top guys to play in these events, and he's already withdrawn from this week. So I don't know if there's an emotional hangover, if there's a lingering injury, whatever it was. Without a doubt, the most disappointing part of the week because we're starting to ask more questions about whether or not he can control things in between the ears to get it done in these major type moments not just this tournament but other ones he had a really really sneaky good major season last year and he did not lose the open championship to Cameron Smith he got he got beat like Cameron Smith just played better so we thought it was going to be there but then all of the expectation all of it mounting to here and I think there's enough scar tissue at least in my heart watching him play to where I don't really know what the pathway is to him winning a Masters unless he changes his outlook. He has to go John Rom. Like John Rom has no reason to have a chip on his shoulder. There's really no doubters out there. There's no he's not the face of the tour against Live in this sort of battle. There's no thing that you can point to that would warrant him having a chip on his shoulder. But if you listen to him at the beginning of the year, he was salty about how he was no, number one in the world. He was taking shots at the mathematical formula, like just stuff that he really doesn't honestly care about. But it's like any other professional athlete who's making up something to motivate him. And that's what Rom has done this entire year. And even said after, I think Saturday, someone talked to him about, well, you were the favorite this week. He goes, no, 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 no. There were two guys on the betting board that were above me entering the week. Like John Rom knew yep. that there were two guys with lower odds than him going into this week. A lot of guys don't pay attention to that crap. And he did to create whatever little chip on his shoulder it was to go and get it done and look so calm in doing it. And Rory is one of the nicest humans 
on the earth. Uh, what he has done to lead over the last year, year and a half, two years has been exhausting. I know he's exhausted, but he's going to have to find a little something deep down. He's going to have to find the anger. He's going to have to find that alpha chip that Tiger Woods was so good yeah. at playing for 20 years if he's going to win this particular golf tournament because there's always going to be attention on him. And unless he wins it when he's 45 and pulls a you know a Tiger 2019 <laughs> or a Jack 1986, right. if he wants to do it while he's in his prime, I think he's going to have to show up pissed off and figure out how to harness that. Yeah, I don't remember where it was on Twitter I saw it or who had tweeted it, but somebody that's a relatively big Rory fan that, that, that follows and tracks golf in the medium of Twitter basically came to the understanding that, okay, you know what? I've accepted the fact that maybe this is going to be something that just happens in his forties and, and, and that's it. I'm, I'm done feeling hopeful, optimistic. Yep. That was probably me. It was probably my tweet. And, and very well I was resigned to the fact that we're not going to see it happen. I want to see him complete the career grand slam. I want to see him put that green jacket on. He should play well on that golf course, but we've seen so many backdoor top tens from him. And then, it was a perfect storm for him to go and win this golf tournament this week. He had the right end of the draw. He was playing well. He, I wouldn't say was the number one favorite, but because Scheffler was kind of taking some of that off of his shoulders, but was arriving there. It was a chance for him to just sort of shove it back at the, at the live narrative. And he just didn't get off the bus. I mean, that's, and, and that to me, to answer your original question, was so shocking that I, I still really haven't been able to put that behind me just like i still don't understand how phil mickelson finished second yesterday i still don't know how that happened like that also is about as insane as anything else that happened in this past week if you are a casual fan of golf you obviously have some understanding that phil mickelson is up there in age how jarring is that as you kind of alluded to right there but also what does it mean moving forward if at all with the rest of the majors on the calendar is it just one of those like tiger he knows augusta so well and just took yeah. advantage of the opportunity. Yeah, I mean, if, if you gave me the parlay right now that Phil misses the cut at the next three majors <laughs> and threw them all together, I'd probably, I'd hammer yeah. that bet. I would, I would. Now, does this does this spur him forward into, let's grind a little bit more and try and get myself in a position to be relevant in some of these majors? Sure, but the next three tests are significantly harder against significantly deeper fields. There are only 87 guys that teed off, and two of them were Sandy Lyle and Larry Mize. And four kids are in college right you know teed off in this well, actually six kids are in college teed off in this tournament so you know you had to, to make the cut you had to beat 15 decent professionals just to make the cut in this golf tournament you're gonna have to beat 75 decent professionals at the pga championship or more than decent professional at the pga championship you have to beat 50 to 70 elite golfers at the u.s open so no i don't think it's a sign of things to come for him but what he did to win the PGA Championship two years ago at 50 and then to be the oldest to finish this high in a leaderboard at the Masters, I don't think it gets enough credit. And the reason why it doesn't get enough credit is because there's so much negative noise around him for what he's done to the game and some of the talking points that he's pushed over the last year. And that's really unfortunate because I think he he deserves most of the criticism that he's been getting over the last year and he's made the bet and he's he talked about it even after the round very briefly yesterday he's happy with the position that he is in but there was a moment there for him to fill the void without tiger woods in our lives for him to really be the guy that goes into his 50s and 60s and is just the staple mentor guy 
from a PGA Tour standpoint around the world of golf. And now he's just kind of a he's a shadow of, of his former self and he's not as prevalent. And we won't talk about that PGA or this Masters with the same gusto we would have talked about it had the last 18 months. Not and and it felt like that going into the tournament in general his press availability like and maybe that's turned it down but yeah they said that you want a press conference he said no i don't want to i don't want to deal with people asking me questions and that just didn't seem like live choice aside that does not seem like something that would have been even remotely on phil's radar 10 years ago keep in mind there's a antitrust lawsuit that names augusta national in it so there are you know he's involved with the organization that is actively suing Augusta National for colluding against live. I mean, think about all of those sort of back channels. And again, sure. it's a bunch of really, really rich, typical, tra- <laughs> you know, traditionally old men. Not a lot of like, feeling bad sort of for stuff. anybody involved in no, this. No, yeah, we don't feel bad for anybody in this story. It's rich people suing rich people. But it is kind of funny to think about. You know, you're sitting in these rooms and you're suing some of the players sitting at the same table as you. You're suing the organization that's putting on the tournament that you've won three times in your career and that you've been, you know, aligned so much with it is kind of wacky how that all sort of played out and then for him to finish second though again that 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 takes away from the fact that we'd be sitting here talking about his agelessness his flexibility at 52 his commitment to psychology how much weight he's lost in terms of his fitness level and everything oh and oh by the way on this exhibition circuit that he's you know so proud of he can't beat half the guys in a 48 man field on live right now can't beat half of those guys and he went out and beat all but one guy who happens to be the best player in the world in the first major of this year. It was absolutely incredible how he closed yesterday. And Jordan Spieth was supposed to post the number. And Phil steps up and birdies 17 and 18 <laughs> to clip him. I mean, it was unbelievable. Look, it got me fooled a bit. Like, you were right. There wasn't a ton of drama on the back nine. But but it got me at least enough of, hey, if there's an implosion at Augusta, which has happened before, it wouldn't yep. be the most uncommon thing in the world Maybe Phil's there. Maybe we're going to a playoff. Maybe he's able to somehow win it outright from the clubhouse. And then you're right. Ron put a lot of that to bed. There was never a sense of of hesitation or the command he had on any of his clubs down the street. No, and then we don't get, back to Phil, we don't get his reaction to how special yesterday was. He doesn't do an interview with Amanda Balionis yeah. or to the Amanda Renner on CBS afterwards. He does, I think, three or four questions at the lectern while he still sort of maybe has a chance. So I think that there was a part of him that was cautious about, well, I'm not going to do a full presser here because what if Rom puts it in the water on 12? i got to get out to the range and <laughs> sure. warm up for a potential playoff. So I can understand that. I can support that idea. But then you don't get that chance to come back and reflect on the week. Like, now that you've played four rounds, like, what did you find? How would you advise Phil Mickelson on Wednesday to treat this week versus what how you've just finished in all of this? And Rom obviously, you know, helped make sure that that didn't happen but yeah no it was uh, i know most of the listeners here don't follow advanced analytics in golf it's how the sure. sport is really measured but you know john rom was two shots better than the field on the back nine with just his irons alone when you measure him against the field um so it, he just hit the ball exactly where it had to go and it was i don't think that john is boring to watch if you like golf and you watch golf regularly there are a lot of other players out there that are boring to watch john rom is never boring to yeah. watch but he played very boring golf on the back nine. He hit tons of fairways. He hit the ball in the right spots of the greens. He birdied the holes he was supposed to birdie. Um, and the only real heroic was his shot on 14. He was behind the tree. And even when he hit it there, I was like, you know what? This sets up perfectly for him. He likes to hit a cut. He can cut, spin it in there and use that slope. And sure enough, he hit. That was the most iconic shot of the back nine. And that 
it was already over at that point in time, but that was the the trunk slammer at that point. Well, Haskett here with us. I'm Jimmy Cook. You're on the Fan Midday Show. We've got plenty to cover for you today, including the Colts as well as the Pacers. Getting closer and closer to draft day for the Colts. And then the Pacers, of course, their season just wrapping up. We'll dive into that and the show goes on. But obviously, Masters Monday, we have Will Haskett here. So we want to dive in as much as we can to that. Uh, you're a straight shooter, so I want you to, to give it Please. to me straight. Lay it on me. I, I can take it. It's fine. Um, Tiger Woods withdraws. Makes yeah. the cut. Uh-huh. Tie, ties the record for most cuts made in a Masters. But withdraws. A lot of it was weather. A lot of it is his body and his inability to get up and down yep. and, and and walk the entirety of Augusta National. If you get a perfect weather day, is there still a sure. glimmer of hope? Yes. Or is it the way he can't move is, is pretty much this is the end. This is what you can take from it. Well, I'll fire back at you. What is the gl- what is your glimmer of hope for Tiger? To win a major? I understand that his best chance of that ever happening again, if you want to entertain it, is Augusta, right? Like that's yeah, fair to say. It's a very d- physically demanding golf course. Yes. So with the hills, this week was a, a horrible weather situation for him. You know, when it was hot on Thursday, I thought, okay, this is going to be good. Like you can warm up. It's hot. It's humid. And then he never looked right. He didn't look comfortable no. warming up in that round. He never looked good at all. But I would say if you if you avoided bad weather at the British Open at the Open Championship, those are typically some of the easiest golf courses to get your body around. And there are certainly other ones in the U.S. Open Rota or the PGA Championship can visit some places that are easier to walk than those hills with that leg. But when you look at probabilities, how veterans play there, how knowledge matters there, how small the field is, yes, it's the easiest. That's why Fred Couples made the cut, too, and he's 63. (laughs) So, yes, it's definitely the easiest one to have a fluky sort of performance and and get it done or or find something late. Glimmer of hope for me is to win, yes. Yeah. I don't think think Tiger will ever win another major. And I said that before he won in 2019, so you can throw that – out the window some some stuff has happened he's also rolled a car down a mountain since then and had to put his leg back together which jason day then mentioned yesterday and i can't believe this slipped um and i don't think tiger is probably happy to let it slip but jason day outed in his conversation with the media afterwards that tiger last year had to withdraw from the pga championship because one of the screws in his right leg punctured his skin that's how that's how hurt he was so i mean his leg is held together by nuts bolts and plates and one of those (laughs) bolts came out like literally punctured back through his skin right and that's how man that's where i mean he talks often about how close he was to not having his right leg and how he's still kind of fighting to keep the right leg i think and so no like we just want to be able to see him compete and have fun and continue to amaze us because him making the cut was amazing him making the cut the pga championship last year was even more amazing in my opinion because of the depth of field there and how hard that golf course was so that is my baseline. To be clear, I don't yeah, want to sit here and sound glimmer, like greedy. Like, my yeah. glimmer of hope is: can we get him to play eight times a year? Yeah. That, honestly, that's my glimmer of hope. And right now, I don't even know if that's yeah. possible. Is he going to win another major? I'm going to say no. Just go ahead, Eddie. Mark the tape. <laughs> mark it. Write down twelve twenty-three on April tenth, two thousand and twenty-three. Um, no, there's no chance. I don't think that he can win another major. But it, it's not the point. Right. He's found his. He's found his joy being out there, especially in what the PGA Tour needs him to be right now. It would have been easy to go take all the money like Phil did. It would have been very easy. Yeah, well, to, and right. if you believe it, they were offering him a billion, maybe yeah, 800 million. 800 million is what they figure they said yesterday on the pre-Masters coverage. Yeah, He doesn't need it. But 
yeah, he wants to compete. He wants to be yep. out there grinding with those guys. He values cuts, um, making those cuts. And um, now, ironically, his tournament out in L.A. could maybe not have a cut next year. And he talked last week about trying to fight for that. So I, I think there's still a lot of fight that he wants to do for what his legacy is on the tour. But in terms of his legacy as a yep. golfer, uh, winning again, there are plenty of – like, he should play this week. Like, this is a perfect golf course for Tiger Woods in 2023 is playing Hilton Head. There's not a single hill on that golf course. It's super short. His iron play would be perfect on this golf course. But it's the week after the Masters. He's always going to play the Masters. So there's no chance he's ever going to play this week because his body won't be able to tolerate it. But if we want to see Tiger win again, there are five or six tournaments on tour that he historically didn't really play that much in that now actually probably fit his game, his old man golf Tiger game. sure. And he won't play in those because he wants to be the face in the majors and a couple of the other bigger events. And that's kind of the the interesting conundrum that he finds himself in right now. But it was not good. It was terrible weather on Saturday. His plantar fasciitis, which has sort of been a, I guess, a consequence of the deterioration of his right leg. Like, who knows if they can get that in order? You know, he's struggling to figure out ways to just have cardio. You know, he's walking a lot, walking with weights, you know, trying to just keep the... yeah just keep the stress off the limbs, but I, I don't know. I just, I just want him healthy four to eight times a year. Yeah. And to be clear, like I said, I, that's greedy hope for me. My no, baseline yeah. is still, I'm, I'm happy to see him out there. Like I, I really do enjoy Kevin wants him to win gets, something. And but, I'm like, bro. <laughs> I mean, and, and, and again, I, I am in that boat with Kevin to an extent. I would love it, but I also Ugh, am realistic yeah. that it's, it's a tough, tough mountain to maybe ever climb again, which is why I'm so much more appreciative right. of, the 2019 Masters, like I mean, because again, that was a little. I understand it was it was before the car accident and everything, but the surprise of it, and it's like, wow, I never thought we'd be back here ever again. But the golfing gods gifted us the 2019 Masters, and I'll, I'll end with this because I know we're up against it here in this segment. But we measure now golf performances as a relation of what was your number compared to the average score that day. It's called strokes gain total, and Phil Mickelson's strokes gain total yesterday for the entire week was virtually the exact same number that Tiger's was in 2019. Phil didn't win this tournament, but Tiger did. So his relation to the average score of the field, Tiger's win in 2019 was the weakest statistically win of the last 35 years at Augusta. Like the field kind of crumpled around Tiger on that final day. Doesn't take anything away from the win. The win's the win. He got the jacket. But I always say it was like it was like the golfing god sort of gifted us this amazing magical moment with Tiger. But you saw the same performance from a 52 year old Phil Mickelson, and he got beat by four (laughs) by John Rahm. Yes. And so like Tiger could get us to that point before he rolled his car down a mountain in 2019, and it still probably wouldn't win most majors most of the time. He's going to need some help. Or he's going to need to find an extra gear because, sure. and and people can sit here and he's not as good as John Rahm. He's just not yeah. like Tiger Woods at this age stage is not as good as John Rahm. Oh. And I think Tiger would admit that off the record, never yeah. on the record. Sure, though. no, yeah. no, not, not, never for the brand. So we'll ask it. I am Jimmy Cook. We've got a great show for you this afternoon. Stephen Holder going to join us, bring us up to speed on the Colts countdown to draft day. Greg Rakestraw, a little bit of that as well with some Pacers mixed in with Rake plus Alex Golden. Take us on a deeper dive with the Indiana Pacers concluding their season yesterday with a win over the New York Knicks. When we return in that same vein, did a great season get ruined by one game? We'll yes, dive that on the other did. side with Will Haskett. I'm Jimmy Cook here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Welcome back to the Fan Midday Show. I'm Will Haskett. Jimmy Cook on my left. Eddie Garrison making it sound good today. Thank you for that, by the way. 
Uh, yesterday, Jimmy, we were talking about the Masters. I was watching only golf, all golf. My act- my daughter actually painted my face to look at the Easter Bunny, so that's how I spent the back nine of the <laughs> Masters yesterday was letting her face paint me. So I wasn't flipping around. I wasn't watching a lot of other sports. But I log in today and check out the defense optional final NBA game of the season in which the Pacers take care of the Knicks by scoring 140 plus and you and I were joking about this it was the most imperfect end to an almost perfect season for a Pacers team that didn't make the playoffs and I if you need to go have a water break here I can do a monologue for the next 20 minutes about why I think it was the most perfect season for the Pacers but really like we got to win that game. I mean, everything we're we're trending down that board, you know, getting away from the Wizards. We couldn't get one more ping pong ball, a couple extra ping pong balls. He had to win that game yesterday. Look, you and I, either one, could toss the ball left or right for that monologue because I was in that, just looking into the crystal ball to start the season. Hey, a perfect way is this is a fun team. You can tell there's obvious areas to grow, but it's more exciting than it was last year. Ultimately, though, at the end of the day, you're back in the lottery. You're stacking up the losses at the end, and we go home, and we're ready for yes. draft day. There's no value to being no. in the play-in this week. No. Zero value. No. Anybody, and I get it. I understand the organization has to say it. I understand that coaches have to say it. Anybody that says there is high value to be in a one-and-done in the play-in. Or, or go get swept by the Bucks, or, I, you know, whatever it might end up it. being. You don't need that. Didn't need it on my plate. Like I, I, I agree. I'm willing to entertain the conversation that a playoff series, a legitimate series, yes. maybe can help your team in the long run. A one-game appearance in the play-in, I, I stress this was emphasis two months ago, so help me, Lord, if it really benefits the pace in the long term, then I, I don't know basketball, and that's on me. That's my fault. I apologize. Yeah, Because I just didn't see the benefit of it. Experience always matters, but you want this team to be in a position to fight to win a playoff For series to and yeah. to have one game or two games or maybe get hit the lottery not that lottery hit the <laughs> the um the, the metaphor here lottery yes of winning two games and then getting a series with the bucks or the celtics or however it would have sort of worked out and then just getting your doors blown off like i don't know what growth that necessarily helps if you're trying to build in a plan where this is a playoff relevant team in two three four years down the road but like you said Everything else, this team was so damn fun to watch yep. at the beginning of the year. My kids and I couldn't get to enough games. Hey, shout out Eddie White. If Eddie's listening, the legend. he's not because it's a exit interview day. I mean, he hooked me up a couple of times at the beginning of the year, and I and I texted back. I was like, dude, anytime. My kids and I will come back down here anytime you want us to watch this team play. They they were in love. Nope. The the Halliburton experience was real, and he's hitting shots. So, the, you know, you've won the trade. or haven't won the trade, but everybody won the trade last year with Sacramento. So you had two victors there. You have a fun, exciting team. You play your way back into the lottery to add another piece. At the beginning of the year, it was what value are you going to get from Miles Turner? And I think that they have got good value from Miles Turner. It's not the value we thought. We thought he would have been flipped for assets or pieces, but when you saw how he worked in a pick-and-roll situation with Tyrese Halliburton, when you saw what he was bringing to the middle of your defense, when you saw what his shooting numbers were like with this group, you got value in the contract because your cap number was so good you could pay him early to spread out that money, so you did get value out of Miles Turner moving forward, and you kept 
a good piece to it. I mean, everything about the year was great. And again, we're joking about the fact they lost. It's like, who cares? I mean, it really doesn't matter. Like, we're going to go flip a coin. And there's four coin flips, by the way. Uh, I've been studying all the coin flips. By the way, do we know what kind of coin they flip? Is it a quarter? It's got to be a quarter. Is it, right? a, is it some sort of collector's NBA <laughs> medallion type coin? Who does the flipping? Like, is it one of those, is it like those firms that always have to control the envelopes for the Oscars or for the Grammys? Like, it's there. It's a guy that comes in from a CPA firm and he does the flipping? I bet it's Mark Tatum. I bet it's Deputy Commissioner Is it a Mark controlled Tatum. environment? Yep. Like, are we talking about it in like a vacuum sealed room so there's no wind that could possibly <laughs> what's the humidity for these coin flip anyway I, the, but jokes aside jokes that, aside though, there are four we, coin flips and 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 i don't want it down to chance there were again no team like i shouldn't say no team right the pacers were clearly at least from an organization casually tanking towards the end yes. right it wasn't outwardly obvious like say the mavericks for instance right like there, there was yeah you're not getting investigated correct yeah adam silver is not correct. knocking on your door today to investigate you for colluding yes or whatever mark cuban <laughs> has to deal with now for the next couple of weeks so i'm glad it's i'm glad they don't have to deal with that but on the flip side yeah i'm, I'm upset that it comes down to coin flips now i am i i like yesterday made me so frustrated because like yeah i'm, I'm sure it's great it's great to end on a high note all that fun stuff I don't care. Okay. And for what people know what we're talking about, the Pacers end up tied with the Wizards at 35 and 47 for the year. So they will flip a coin to determine draft order. Uh, well, actually, they'll, they'll flip a coin to determine who gets whatever the the odds are going into one gets seven, the lottery. One gets eight, right? right. Yeah. And then if they neither one of them get drawn, then they obviously fall into that order. Now, I will say this. Had they lost... 7-8 in the tank standings, to clarify correct. my statement, not the playoff standings. Had they lost yesterday... They could have slipped down and tied the Orlando Magic, who ended up 34 and 48. That would have been another coin flip situation. So there's actually a scenario where if they win the coin flip against the Wizards, it'd be the same spot as if they had lost the coin flip with the Magic, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah. So they didn't technically yet play themselves out of that conceivably. Maybe it's a spot when Not it's all said Not in control of their own destiny. Anymore. That's exactly right. <laughs> um, but... I don't know. I don't know. You lost maybe a, a ping pong ball or two in the Victor Wembanyama sweepstakes going into this one, which would obviously be the the pie in the sky sort of situation for the Pacers. But yeah, we joke. It was um, it was a good season. Exit interviews are going on right now, so we've heard from a few players today. Miles Turner, I thought, was actually. Um, pretty open this morning with his discussion of how he wants to see more defensive identity from this team moving forward. And I don't really know, given the current construction, where that comes from internally, which is, I think, why this draft becomes as important as last year's draft. If you in this market want to assemble a team that can make noise, you have to be you have to swing for a better average in the draft than a lot of the other teams in the league. I don't know if they could have gotten any better than they did last year. We're not sitting here saying who got drafted after Matherin that you'd rather have. And you also picked up Nemhard with that, with that, uh, the first pick of the second yeah. round to make it, you know, as, as good of a one, two sort of punch in that draft as you probably could have gotten. You need one more really good a grade draft this year. And you know, they're going to have to go wing. It's a very deep wing draft. So even if they fall to where they're going to fall in that 7-8 range, I think there's going to be good players available. But I, you, I think if you're going to give Miles Turner what he was talking about earlier today, that we need that player to be able to guard somebody. And the other opportunity, I suppose, obviously you have to get creative uh, in general when you're balancing everything on 
the cap space with the books, but for the Pacers, the prevailing thought is with three first-round picks, they're not going to make three first-round selections. There's not going to be three first-round rookies on this roster post-draft. I mean, there's some type of move that would likely take shape, whether that is to move up, and I don't mean move up from eight to two because I don't think anybody's necessarily doing that. I mean moving up from what could be 29 and 25 to 13 or 14 right. potentially type of deal. Right. And and then, yeah, maybe you get two cornerstone sort of pieces there, but you're still you're still rolling the dice there. Man, can we just get like, can we just get lucky? I don't, <laughs> I don't need number one. I'm not getting greedy here. I don't want to have Wembenaya mania in Indiana. I, I mean, he just is a, he's a walking knee injury waiting to happen. Like, right. He would come here and something bad would happen. Right. Like he'll go somewhere else and be like a perennial all-star. He would come here and he'd blow something out. So let's just slide into the three spot. Can we just get the number three pick? Can we just get Wemba Naya and Scoot Henderson off the board? And then you have your pick of every single six, eight, six, nine guy that can shoot and guard. And then we can spend the entire rest of June until the draft happens talking about whether or not what Brandon Miller did at Alabama is worthy of him not getting drafted or not. Can we just have that for like three straight weeks on these airwaves? That that is that's quintessential Pacer fan. Let's get lucky enough, but to, not too but lucky. Not too lucky no. to get Wembenyama. No, I don't want Nick's get, luck get, here. Don't give me no, yeah, no. no. I don't want cold envelope <laughs> lucky here. I want because then we'll get unlucky if we. End that's up with exactly Wemby. right. I don't need that level of karma. I just want to be guaranteed that I can choose between. I guess it's what Jerace Walker or Brandon Miller or somebody like that that kind of falls into that three to six slot where you know you're going to get a six eight six nine guy who yep. can shoot and has some athletic athletic upside to guard the most difficult position to guard right now in the league because i don't know I, I don't know what this team sort of looks like moving forward i liked bits and pieces of neesmith this year um i like the toughness that he brings i think he's definitely a piece and he's still under control for what another year for this team so but i we know what they're going to draft we know what they need and this is a draft rich with wings so i don't know how you package it together to maybe make yourself put yourself in a more advantageous situation but yeah let's just like some luck not all the luck just some luck give somebody else one but it's fine <laughs> don't need that look i i would be just as with where things are right now if you told me the opportunity was there off the court issues aside to bring brandon miller in here yeah i'd be be totally fine with that if it's at like three or four and he's somehow there even though he is in a lot of mocks Wembenyama one, Miller two, Scoot Henderson three. Like it, it's interchangeable there. How much luck you really need, but there are clear and obvious issues with this Pacers team. You can tell Rick Carlisle is frustrated with it on the defensive side. That's an area he prides himself on, and I understand that league wide, it's an issue during the regular season. Like scoring averages continue to go up in a lot of different metrics, but for me. I wasn't as mad about it because I wanted them to get more ping pong ball. You yeah. see 130, almost an average of what the Pacers are giving up over the last month and a half. Yeah, I mean, what, no Knicks player like started the game they lost a couple of days ago, and then they go and find a way to hang 140 on him yesterday and win. It's just, yep. The moment you try to understand the NBA is the moment you realize <laughs> you have no idea what could end up happening until you get to the playoffs, and it becomes a little bit more predictable in terms of talent and everything. But it was, like, it was a super fun team to watch. You know, uh, in, in takes that are likely to not age well, what Benedict Matherin gave this team this year in terms of of hope, of effort, of willingness to put the time in, 
willingness to get beat up and work his way to the foul line and put in everything like you just get a different vibe it doesn't feel like a guy that wants to bolt for la or miami because he becomes a popular player it's just we're a, bringing he, out all the black cats now yeah, i know he, seem, all of a sudden. he now seems okay. he seems more blue collar <laughs> like long term and i, I love that aspect of it and so i think he's he's a player that this community really wants to get around and get behind um, is he going to be a perennial all-star? Eh, probably not. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, he could he grow into that? Sure. But, like, this has the roster makeup of a team that isn't Milwaukee where you have a Giannis or I guess you could say the Celtics because of what Tatum has sort of grown into. But, like, this is a roster that could end up being, you know, kind of like like what the – what the heat were a couple of years ago where you had really good players, but not necessarily a superstar. I understand that Jimmy Butler is in that ilk, but he's more of an all around player type of superstar. He he did. And this is what you're alluding to there. He did have a superstar like season that specific year you're talking about, but prior to that all around guy, lunch pail guy and just surround him with pieces. That's the pathway forward for this team. I guess, unless you win the lottery and you're number one, then you're, you've got a, a nine-foot Frenchman who's changing the <laughs> entire trajectory of your of your team, and I know that doesn't work. I know that's not how the NBA works. But this isn't a this isn't a market where you're going to be able to assemble two all stars, three all stars on the same has to happen through the draft. Has to happen through the draft, and we have to have those guys. For me, and we talk about hot takes. I, I was on with uh, Tony East last week on his Locked On Pacers podcast. It was a great job covering the team, and. Maybe Tyrese Halliburton winds up being this true face of the franchise and, and, and there's less pressure on Benedict Matherin to be this. But what I would like to see out of him, and this is a, a big leap forward in general for a completion of his game, I want somewhere in the middle of the next two seasons of Danny Granger to Paul George. I want him somewhere in the middle of that, sure. of that chasm. I think a lot of Pacers fans would love that. You look at historical forwards that have had success with this franchise over the last... 15 years, yeah. those are the two first names that you point to. That's and right. is that a big ask for him? Sure. He needs to clean up a ton on the defensive end. He has some head-scratching turnovers at times. But the physicality is there, to your point, not shying away from contact, going and getting buckets. Yep. You see him ascend, and then you legitimately are one more home run in the draft away from not just being a, we're in the eight or the seven or a six spot, Maybe you're working your way up in the middle of the Eastern Conference and being a true contender here in the next two to three seasons. Yeah. Again, roster assembly is going to be so important. The value that they've had here, I feel like they've been so deep at the back end of the bench, yeah. which doesn't, it's not going to win you an NBA title. It's not going to even make you a top four seed in the playoffs. But they've been so good with their money. They've been so good at finding players that can give them minutes throughout the course of the season. And now it's can you assemble that five to seven in the perfect way? And there's cap constraints there too. I don't necessarily think that Tyrese Halliburton is a max player in the sense of his pecking order with other max players in the league. He's a max player for this Pacers team. They're going to have to pay him as a max player in this Pacers team, but he shouldn't have to bear the load that a max player has to carry in other markets. So how can they sort of build around it so that you're not expecting him to be the go-to shot 
taker in every single game that you can build this sort of fluid roster that has a little bit of flexibility into it. And I think that's what the entire Pacers organization is in position to do, especially if you get this draft right. Another bright spot that has been talked about a handful of times, but we haven't hit on it yet today. With the increased role via the trade from Milwaukee, Jordan Wara was a delight throughout the back half of this season. Again, I know that you're not... Your aiming expectations took a a cultural shift amongst the fan base about three or four weeks ago where there was still a glimmer of hope of, hey, maybe they're going to mess around and make the play in, and then who knows what happens there. Again, I was never in that camp, but there were reasons to potentially get behind that train. Once things settled in, you're like, okay, let's just see what the rest of this roster can do. What are we looking like next season? Uh, To have a piece like Wara in the rotation and, again, pretty much getting whatever he wanted at will, being in the right place, being a a great complimentary piece amongst this roster. You hope that's what you'd get when you take a guy that wants more minutes. He wasn't happy with his role in Milwaukee. You bring him here. He thrived. Yeah, he was really good. Is he a starting piece on a Pacers playoff team that you're expecting to see compete in the next two or three years? I don't know. Is he top 10 rotation piece? Maybe. It's... It's easy to get excited about players on a team that just finished yeah. 14 games below, or sorry, 13 games below 500 this year. I don't know. I, you'd like to think, with the resources that you have and the flexibility that you have, that if he's a part of the future, he's 12 minutes a game type of a guy, yeah. right? Unless he continues to blossom. And if he does, then that's that's great. Sure. And you've invested in it and you've given him an opportunity. To, but you know what? I probably said the same thing about Neesmith last summer when they acquired him in the Brogdon trade. I was like, okay, well, I haven't seen a lot from him. He just needed a place to stretch. And I would say half of the more memorable moments of this Pacers season were Aaron Neesmith highlights, whether it was dunks or big scoring games, whatever it had to be. And that's kind of the point. It's You can never compare college basketball to the NBA game, obviously. But it feels like in this team, with the limitations that they have from a resource standpoint, compared to other teams in the NBA, that you could assemble a team that resembles more of a college-like environment than a professional one. And I, I know every player that would be listening right now would be rolling their eyes like, no, I'm a pro, it's a different sort of game. And it's like, but if you can find a way to function as a unit, because you're not going to get a superstar unless, again, all those ping-pong balls. They don't use ping-pong balls anymore. I don't think they do. They just put it into a computer, it, right? It's, it's a, they film it. It's a massive, like... There yeah. are there are there are ping pong. We balls don't know about use, the coins. It's, it's a, They're changing the old the ping thing. pong balls. Yep. We don't have envelopes anymore. It's <laughs> everything's getting crazier. But yeah, you know that's unless you hit that absolute home run, I think you have to go about assembling this roster just a little bit differently than sixteen other markets or so around the league have the flexibility to be able to do. I mean, heck, Detroit is going to string together back to back to back top four or five picks, yep. and even that's not playing out the way that I think that they wanted it to up in Detroit with Cunningham's injury this year and everything too. So it's, it still has to come to culture. What are you doing? How are you putting the right pieces together? They don't have to be top five picks every year, but a very important draft coming up later this summer. The only thing that I have of a complaint or just frustration, and again, if you asked me from the moral standpoint, I would never have asked or rooted for the type of injuries that plagued Detroit to invade Indiana. But you look at what their roster could potentially look like I'm talking about the Pistons here. If they win the lottery and you bring Wembenyama in there in, in general with Jay Nivey already there, I mean, the division foe, that's another team that's no. in the bottom of the East that comparable resources, but still it's Detroit. There, there's a legacy factor there. 
it, you, I don't want to get in a situation where I'm looking back up at a team, you know, just just that, uh, just a was, stone's throw that away. Was so much worse than you yes. for so long yes. that they got it right. Yep. That they were so bad that they yep. they fell into getting it right. Although Ivy had a great year. Yeah, uh, he's going to be exciting to watch. It was remember a year ago at this time. It was the conundrum of if he's there when the Pacers draft, would they do it? And then they didn't have to worry about making that determination, right. which I think probably helped all parties when it was all said and done. I would agree. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it was like I, I really liked Mather in the tournament, kind of fell in love with him at that point. Obviously, the, the Ivy tie it was always strong, but yeah, it helped a lot of people. They didn't have to worry about that. Yeah, I agree with that. So, we'll, I mean, we'll see how it all falls out. I, I just love the makeup of this team. They were so entertaining to watch. Uh, I don't know how much health was truly a, a, a factor down the stretch or if it was an easy case of let's load manage this thing into an advantageous situation for our franchise moving forward. But um, makes yesterday all the more frustrating. That's exactly what it was. right. But you know what? They're pros, and the yeah. other team's getting paid too. And yeah. they went out and they won a game. So congratulations to them for going into this offseason with that positive taste in their mouth <laughs> by getting that great, great, sweet elixir of victory to carry them into their offseason workouts and their media availability today. We can't wait to hear how that particular yeah. win spurred yeah. them forward to being the team that they will become in 2023-24. I know you wrote it down. I wrote it down. I circled it. It's on the calendar and oh, it's ready man. to go as a turning point for the franchise i mean when this yeah. team wins the nba championship mm-hmm. in four years yep. we're gonna remember that knicks game yep. yesterday i can't even spin it as like well at least i'm happy for the pacers fans that were there because it was a road game was it the garden like i'm not saying there weren't pacers there but i can't even spin it as you know what i'm happy for the kids that got to spend a little bit of easter sunday seeing a pacers win but no i can't do that there's no there's no positive spin there no there is no, no. there's no positive spin to yesterday's yeah i mean i guess they, they scored 140 something points so we know they can put we know they can score but will they guard? That, that's a good question. I mean, Miles has a good question. Will they Will they guard or not uh, is something to be determined. I've been told we have to take a break. I can get us there. Are you going to eat your sandwich coming up at the break? I am going to eat my sandwich oh, at the break. Oh, we're going to talk sandwiches on this show <laughs> as well because there's some fun ones coming up. Stephen Holder, top of the hour. Greg Rakestraw, bottom of the next hour. And we'll probably talk about a lot of the same stuff you just heard with Alex Golden coming up at the beginning of the 2 o'clock hour. It is the Fan Midday Show. Jimmy Cook, I'm Will Haskett. You're listening to 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Welcome back to the Fan Midday Show. Will Haskett sitting in. Jimmy Cook is over there. It's going to be a very quick lunch break for Jimmy today. Maybe you listen to us on your lunch break. Um, he's going to have another three minutes to try and scarf down a sandwich. You have over there. I do. We were talking about the Masters to begin the segment. Again, I work predominantly over on PGA Tour Radio and have some PGA Tour events coming up. Did not go to the Masters this past weekend, but when I have had the Love pleasure the zip up, of by being... The way. Thank you. I'm wearing my Masters pull-up today for those on YouTube. Um... When I have been able to go to the Masters, it is always the big conundrum of what to consume. The concessions become a big part of the week. By the way, do you know in just merchandise, like this shirt right here, they'll do 70 million in merch? uh, 10 million a day. They got to make up for the concession somewhere. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but you got you got some cheesy looking sandwiches over there. What's cooking? Yeah, I, I do. This is bad for the YouTube audience because it's in the fridge right now. So I wasn't sure if I get to eat it for a segment. But um, we what's cooking, by the way, a uh, segment during uh, high school radio I did that for uh, you. day. So yeah. I appreciate that. No um, pimento cheese sandwich. It was Easter Sunday. Wanted to bring the masters to the cook household. Made a ton of uh, pimento cheese spread sandwiches. And um, the reaction to them was about the same as the one you gave me, which is now I have nine pimento cheese sandwiches in the fridge. Yeah, it's that gross. Be my lunch for the next. It's time. gross, Jimmy. I, yeah. I think didn't realize by the way there was a huge like pushback. 
Like, I have a small sample size of 15 people. Yeah. Two have enjoyed it. No, no one should ever subject themselves to eating that. (laughs) And it only works because there is so much tradition wrapped into those little green wrappers that people just feel like it tastes better this time of year. I've refused to do that. And the sandwich that never gets any love at Augusta National, they actually have a breaded chicken sandwich. And it's very, very good. It's got a little pepper in there. It's got a little kick to it. None of the sandwiches are very robust. They're only a dollar fifty to like two bucks or two dollars and fifty cents. But the hack that I have heard though, and while I'm not a pimento cheese guy, is you go ahead and you drop the five bucks. You get a pimento cheese. You get a chicken sandwich. You take the bread off the pimento cheese. You, you spread that cheese on your chicken sandwich. Reapply the bun. That, Jimmy, is how you get cooking at the Masters. So now. I'll need to regroup next year, perhaps get some chicken on the grill or, or yeah, some so, chicken so from Chick-fil-A on Saturday. Go ahead and put that in, save the, me time. Put that in the fridge, yes. reheat that, slather that cheese spread on there, and then maybe you'll have some takers and you won't have nine in the fridge today because I, <laughs> I don't think you can handle nine today. No, I cannot handle nine today. Only one with me today. Uh, I know we're up against it, so I will I will wrap up with this. Uh, I, you're not a big pimento cheese guy. I am, though. Like If it's on a burger or like on chicken, I, I'm here for it. I sign All up. Right, I like go, it. Go for it. <laughs> We went the entire first segment without the first hour without talking about the Colts. We'll break that cycle coming up next. Stephen Holder, top of the hour. Welcome back to the Fan Midday Show with Jimmy Cook. I'm Will Haskett. Spent a lot of last hour talking about the Masters. That is my lane. And now I'm going to sit back on the couch and get ready for football season. And the Colts are getting ready for football season. They get ready a little bit earlier than some of the other teams because they made a coaching change in the offseason. Workouts can begin this week at the team's facilities over on the west side. Talk about that and more. We go to the man who knows everything. ESPN Stephen Holder is with us. Hey, Stephen, do you like pimento cheese sandwiches? You took it. I'm mad. Uh, Come again. I missed that. Do you like pimento cheese sandwiches? Oh, yeah, uh, you know, uh, it's one of those things. Like if if you show up to a, you know, a, a cocktail party and that's all they have, like I'll eat it. Oh, man. But like, this has been a tough go for me. Going out of my way. Oh. <laughs> Jimmy's got nine of them, and he's got to figure out how to get them down before the cheese curdles even more than it's already curdled between the two slices of bread I'm looking at right now. So we don't know if it's yeah, going to happen. Have fun with that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I misguided the vibe at the Easter party yesterday. Stephen thought that people might like some mento cheese sandwiches for the masters and i'm quickly learning that i'm the only one that apparently enjoys it whatsoever so that's nice the the the, uh the audience has spoken i guess yes, they have <laughs> it the still gets spoken, i yeah. mean but the golf fans love it I, I just i don't get it give me the chicken every single day okay uh steven workouts this week for the colts for those that can participate want to participate will participate because there was a coaching change you get a chance to look at them a little bit earlier this will be a broad question but i'm interested in this which player or players is this week most important for whether it's being seen or learning or or just maybe just getting into whatever this time of year needs to be for them? Who is this most important for this week? Yeah, I, I think it's really for the players on the offensive side. I know that's a broad answer, but but the players on the offensive side in particular, this is a big week for them, and the reason for that is because there is continuity on the defensive side. They're bringing back Gus Bradley and the defensive staff. On the offensive side, there's almost an entirely new staff with the exception of Reggie Wayne and a couple of lower-level assistants. And so the scheme is going to be different. The emphasis, the the points of emphasis are going to be different. Everything will change on the offensive side. And consider this. Now, while Shane Steichen has, has gotten the job or got the job 
what, maybe six or eight weeks ago, they haven't had a chance to really talk about football. They're not really permitted to have really, you know, coaching conversations until the off season opens. And that's this week. So they haven't had any real, you know, very specific conversations about scheme and what your role is. If you're Michael Pittman, you want to walk in there and you want to know, okay, what is this going to look like? And what does it mean for me? That's what I want to know. And I, and I know we don't know who the quarterback is most likely just yet, but I think there's lots of questions that can start to be addressed this week uh, about about who's going to be in a prominent role, uh, different roles in general, all of that. So I think those questions start to get answered this week. Stephen, we're going to obviously dive into the quarterback conversation a little bit with you. Before we go that route, because you bring up Michael Pittman Jr., I've talked with a number of of different Colts reporters or Colts on the beat that we've had over the last couple of weeks regarding what happens after that quarterback is selected. They they have a need at cornerback. They have a need uh, at wide receiver, you could argue. You need a little bit more depth in there. Maybe you're looking for a true number one. Is the consensus still that Michael Pittman Jr. could grow into that? Or what's the expectation for him over the entirety of this offseason leading into training camp and ultimately the start of the season? My sense is that it it depends on who you ask. Like, I think there are people in the Colts organization who who might say Michael Pittman is more of a number two. You know, and and I think, you know, a very, very, very good number two, right? It's not an insult. But, but I mean, if you're talking about a high-level number one wide receiver, I don't think you're going to get uh, widespread agreement on that point about Michael Pittman. Does that mean they won't resign him? Nope. Does that mean that he can't? maybe become that? No, it doesn't. But I think as we stand here today, I, I think there are some there's there's probably not agreement on whether he is, you know, a, a bona fide a high level number one wide receiver. But here's the thing. You can't always you don't always have access to, to a guy like that, right? Where do you find that guy? Generally you have to draft him or you have to go out on the free agent market and pay him twenty million dollars a year, right? So you know, he might be the best they can do for right now, but I'm just saying I do think there is room there for you know, for, for maybe that that truly dominant number one wide receiver if if there was a scenario where they could acquire one, whether drafting or otherwise. I think there's room for that. Now whether the Colts are inclined, you know, to, to go find that player, that is a different question. And that's where I wonder where Shine, where Shane Steichen comes in on this because we know with Frank Reich, he often had a tendency to just settle is the wrong word, but like he he was okay not having that that you know sort of Pro Bowl level top dog at wide receiver. He was okay saying we're going to spread the ball around and it doesn't matter if we have a dominant guy. I don't know that Shane Steichen agrees. I have no idea. You know, it'll be interesting to see what his philosophy is on that. And and then there's also just the reality. Look more more dangerous players at that position just makes it harder on defenses. The team I always go back to in this regard is the Cincinnati Bengals. And I look at at what they have and what they have provided Joe Burrow with and just his ability to go other places when Jamar Chase is Mm -hmm. double covered, as he often is. He has options. And let me tell you, those guys come through. But at the end of the day, when he needs a play, even if Jamar Chase is double covered, he goes to Jamar Chase and he makes a play that is what you're talking about. You're talking about a, a true, bona fide, dominant wide receiver. 
ESPN's Stephen Holder joining us here on the Fan Midday Show. Jimmy Cook, Will Haskett with you. Uh, speaking of ESPN, filed just about an hour ago, the report confirmed with sources to ESPN's Adam Schefter and a number of others around the interwebs. At least six teams have inquired with the Arizona Cardinals about trading up for the third overall pick in the upcoming NFL draft. Uh, Stephen, I would assume that the Colts are one of those six that have had communications about what that price tag might be because I'm, every day we're going to talk about it. Right? You can't avoid the question that everybody in Indianapolis is talking about. But how much more valuable, especially after all of the workouts last week for the Colts, do we think three is versus four? I think it matters a lot. I really do. This is a unique draft in that you have so many teams that quarterback needs near the top. I mean, quarterbacks obviously have been getting pushed up in the draft for 10 years now. This is not new, but but it is interesting. I mean, you, you don't see quarterbacks go one, two, three. That just doesn't really happen. I don't know if it's ever happened. I, I'd have to check on that. But, but it, it, you know, it's, it's a pretty rare situation. We could have that this year, depending on whether Arizona trades out. I mean, hell, it could be one, two, three, four. <laughs> I mean, you're talking about, you know, pretty unprecedented stuff now. So, if that's the case, look, you, you are already, if you're the Colts, you're already in a scenario where in the worst case scenario, you are getting the fourth choice at quarterback in this draft. That is not an optimum place to be. So given that, I think you have to give yourself every advantage possible. I know they haven't ruled out moving up. I think you have to worry about a few things. Uh, certainly the, you know, we'll see what the Lions do. They have some draft capital. The Raiders can't count them out. Uh, I look at the Titans. Okay. That's a team. No one's really talking about, but think about this with the Titans. Granted, they'd have a long way to go, but they have a new general manager, Rand Carthon. And my, my theory is that he comes from San Francisco where they are very aggressive in the trade market and have been both in the draft and, and elsewhere. You know, maybe he took some lessons from them, from his, his former colleagues there. Right. So there's teams, I think, throughout the top 10 and, and into the top 15 that the Colts would have to be wary of jumping them to get to number three. Here's the other thing. The reality is there's no secret. There's no mystery. Everybody knows the Colts are going quarterback most likely. So if you're, if you're thinking about quarterback, you know where you have to go. It's, there's no, uh, maybe we'll call Seattle. Maybe we'll call Detroit. No, you know you've got to get in front of Indianapolis. So that takes away the mystery for those other teams and I think it, it makes the, the Cardinals pick more valuable. Steven, I was in the camp quietly that, well, maybe maybe they don't take a quarterback. Maybe they trade back. And then you start to hear, which I know they're doing their due diligence across the board. Hooker. But you start to hear every, it, Let's you, go. you hear the hand to Hooker Let's go. Uh, content. Let's make but, it happen. But, but, but yeah. you, you also hear like they are sending the entire party. It, it leaked out the entire party is going to see Will Levis. So, so maybe that's yeah. smoke. Maybe they did that for everybody and it just happened to be highlighted because it's Will Levis. Is it pretty clear as day that it would be a monumental shock if they don't take a quarterback or if they trade back out of four? For me, it would, yes. Yeah. I I am not entertaining okay. the other scenario. Just not. not. Not because it can't happen, just because I just – that is just how minimal a percentage I put on that. I, I just – I think there's too much pressure on them to, to do it. And the other thing is, you know, Chris Bowder has even acknowledged this. Having the number four overall pick – while there are some disadvantages right now because of who's picking in front of them, 
at the end of the day, let's be let's be honest though. Number four, that is <laughs> that is as high as they've picked, you know, since selecting Andrew Luck, yeah. right? So I mean, this is a pretty rare situation as as Chris Ballard has said. I mean, think about the amount of pain, as he put it, it took to get to number four. <laughs> Granted, there's teams in front of them that have that have more cards to play, but the fact is, I mean, it took it took a historically bad season to get there yeah. and to, to come away from it without taking a shot at the quarterback, I think would be malpractice. Now you could, as an organization make the evaluation and I trust them more than my own knowledge, but you could make the evaluation that we hate these quarterbacks and these guys are not, not it for us. And in that case, I'm willing to listen to the argument, but I, I just think that unless you are completely convinced that's the case and no one seems to suggest that it is unless you're completely convinced that's the case this is just too precious an opportunity in my book quarterbacks have gone one two and three in the nfl draft twice two years ago the 2021 draft that was the trevor lawrence zach wilson trey lance you have to go all the way back to the great year of 1999 i was graduating from high school i was four at that point in time oh you were four jimmy (laughs) that was the tim couch donovan McNabb, achille smith draft remember that achille smith we thought he was going to turn heads in cincinnati that uh that did not pan out so that's the only two times we've had the top three picks be quarterbacks it's never been we've had four straight quarterback selections and it kind of begs the question Stephen, because again the cardinals hold all the chips here especially with the trade with the panthers moving up to number one is that they can fall down and get a difference making defensive player depending on where those trades come from underneath them and i kind of feel like we're in the same situation when i when we all saw what the panthers gave up to move to number one you're sitting there going man that it's almost as if the Colts are in such a bad value position from a trade because if you truly want to give up what it likely costs you just to move up from four it's a king's ransom compared to a team giving up the nine or the 11 or whatever it might be and it's it's just I just feel like somebody's going to leap in front of them that are just dangling too much, and are the Colts willing to spend what's probably going to be an obscene price to literally just slide up one because you happen to like Richardson or Levis over the other that much more? Mm. It will be interesting to see, you know, what the cost could what the cost will be. I think there's also another side to that coin. You're, you're not wrong. I, I I have no idea what it would be, but it, it won't be cheap <laughs> because there are other suitors. That's the thing. If the Colts were the only team calling, then we'd have a different conversation. We know, I don't know the extent of the conversations with Indianapolis, but, but whatever it's been, they're not the only team. We, we know this, right? I mean, we just talked about the report, and we also have common sense, right? We can look at the board and see <laughs> right. you know, who's behind them, and, and it just makes sense, right? So. So the Colts are not in a great position. There's no question about it. However, the other side of that coin is for Arizona, what does it mean to them, right? How far down do they want to go? I mean, they can still get their guy, who I presume would be Will Anderson. They can still get him at number four under this scenario of trading with the Colts. You could pick up you know, a couple extra really valuable picks, only move one spot, and the only thing you've lost is you're just picking the guy you want one pick later. So you've lost nothing. So I really think it depends on Arizona's appetite for, for losing out on, on the cream of the crop. You know, that's the thing. Because if they go beyond, eh, if they go beyond Detroit, I, I think you're, then you're talking about either Seattle or, or Detroit, you know, possibly picking a Will Anderson, you know, and then, uh, then you're, you're going to plan B. 
whatever Arizona's plan B would be. So, so that that's what that's what I would say. And they they clearly need help on defense. So that's going to be a priority for them. So I don't know. I, I think there's two ways yeah, to look at that, and it really that. will boil down to what Arizona's appetite will be. How far can they go and hold their nose and go down, you know, far enough, you know, where they feel like they're in a good position. Stephen Holder, nice enough to take some time with us. Colts beat writer for ESPN, covers the NFL as a whole for ESPN as well. Stephen, you tweeted about it yesterday. I thought you kind of hit the nail on the head as to the rationale for why Aldo Beckham Jr. is headed to Baltimore. Uh, is that just another prime example that uh, money wins out? Is that, is that, the, is that the, the key takeaway there? No. So, yes, it does. Okay. I mean, I don't know who else was lining up to pay uh, Odell Beckham as much as $18 million, <laughs> I think, when you factor in the incentives. Yeah. I mean, the, the list is probably very short, and I think it's just one team. However, I will say this. I've had a couple conversations this morning, and I have softened that take a little bit, okay. I will tell you. Now, so glad you asked, because, you know, what, I, what I'm hearing now, and from someone in particular who kind of, I would say, is somewhat close to that situation, there's been a lot of conversation appears between Odell Beckham and Lamar Jackson. I mean, they've they've been posting. I guess they, there was some there were some Instagram posts. Uh, I think they were perhaps hanging out together in Miami this weekend for one thing. And so the other thing here is maybe this is the reality. What is really happening for Lamar Jackson right now? What what are his options? The answer is he has none. Whether you like that or agree or whatever, whatever your position, whether you think his demands are reasonable, I, I, don't, I don't care. That's not the point. The point is the ball hasn't moved for him. Yeah. He doesn't have anybody else to play for right now. <laughs> so <laughs> for Lamar Jackson, uh, at the moment at least, it's Baltimore or nothing, um, unless somebody steps up. And I honestly think, frankly, the, the, the real window is between now and the draft because the team's – that are that are potentially going to be in that market, they're going to be looking toward the draft for solutions. And if they, I think that the the number of teams who would potentially be in the market for Lamar Jackson, it gets cut pretty dramatically after the draft. So he's going to have possibly even fewer suitors at that point. So if you're Lamar Jackson, maybe just maybe you're coming to terms with things and thinking, okay, well, maybe we can make the best of this if I do go back to Baltimore. The one thing he does have now is, in terms of leverage, while he may not have a lot of contract leverage or as much as he wants, he maybe does have leverage for Baltimore to say, hey, we can entice you to come back and and make this a more amenable situation for you and maybe getting a guy like Oda Beckham does that for him. I don't know. But I think that's those are some of the things where my wheels are turning now. A player that may or may not change teams this offseason there. ESPN.com, Stephen, also has the list of the remaining best free agents on the market if the Colts are going to spend mm-hmm. anymore. It's an interesting list of who's left based off of the rankings that Matt Bowen puts together on that one. Yeah. Number one, Yannick Ngakwe still has not signed with anybody. Former Colt, obviously. Rocky Asin comes in number two on that list. And you got a guard in Dalton Risner. I just see all sorts of Colt potential, whether it's past players or current needs that's on that list are we is the shopping cart still on aisle 10 right now for chris ballard and company well look i mean i think if you look at chris ballard's history he's made some some key additions late into the free agent signing period you know i I think stefan gilmore you know although they just traded him but but if you want to go back to that acquisition you know that happened i believe 
in late March, if not early April, if I recall. Yeah. Uh, you can go back to Eric Fisher. Now, I don't know that that was a great signing, but it was an important signing because of the yeah. position. Yeah. yeah, the left tackle. But that happened after the draft, if I recall. Yeah. So, you know, you're talking about a guy who really does utilize, and Chris Ballard, utilize the entire calendar when it comes to acquiring players. He talks about that all the time. I think you're also going to see that list possibly change after the draft. You know, depending on how teams address certain needs, there always are veterans that wind up on the market after the draft in those late cuts. So, yeah, I, I would agree. I think that, you know, you're still, you're still kind of pushing the shopping cart around. It might not be quite full, but, <laughs> but that doesn't mean you, you can't throw a few more things in there. So I, I would say that everything is still on the table. You know, they've got a – at the end of the day, they, they, they kind of need some answers at quarterback too before they can really begin to, to know where they are, I think. And that's part of the problem with the Colts right now is what are they? I don't know. You look at them and you can't get past the single biggest question, you know. And, and once you answer that question, maybe then you have clarity on some other things. Steven, kind of a two-part question to, to end things. First, do you think – Right now, 17 days from the draft, that inside of West 56th, they know the selection they'd like to make, assuming they stay at four between Richardson and Levis. And secondly, outside of you know, keeping your notifications on, keeping Adam Schefter's notifications on, when you hear all this about, oh, the whole uh, Calvary went to go see Will Levis, or you're seeing these nuggets reported, what, if anything, should Colts fans keep an eye on through these next two weeks plus? So, uh, as far as the first question, my perception is that they they have a they likely I should say they likely have a preference. Whether they have a final decision, I think, is a different statement. Okay. Um, my let's put it this way: the, the the vibe that I have gotten is that is that there is there are differing opinions, and I'm talking particularly. Uh, between the two guys that, that we think they would be talking about, right? Anthony Richardson and, and Will Levis. Um, the vibe that I get is that there have been ongoing conversations about both and that maybe there's something less than uh, a consensus there. Okay. And, and actually, that probably makes sense, right? I mean, I, I think they're so different. They're, they, they both can be polarizing in their own way as prospects. So maybe that's not shocking, right? Um, ultimately, Chris Ballard and Shane Steichen are going to have to put their heads together and, and come to an agreement and, and figure out who their guy is. I, I think it sounds, at least from, from my conversation with Jim Irsay, like he's willing to, to defer on that one. And I think we'll just trust them to make the right choice. So I don't think he really plays a factor in, in the ultimate decision. I just think they have to come to a decision and come to a, a consensus. And it, 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 it appears as though it's been difficult to get there. And, and I don't know that that's a bad thing. You should use all the time that you have. So I know that that may sound maybe unbelievable after, you know, years of scouting these guys, but, you know, it's, they're, they're different players, and, and they would mean different things for your football team, and they would be used differently, et cetera. So I get it. Uh, as for what you should look for, <laughs> basically ignore everything. Um, <laughs> It's a terrible answer, but it's probably the truest answer. Uh, I, I do think it's, it's probably normal when you're taking a big contingent to go see a quarterback prospect. You know, when you're talking about a top five pick, I mean, it makes sense. I, I saw what the Panthers have done. 
I think even their owner went to a couple pro days. I think that makes sense, right? I mean, you want everybody who has a, a stake in it to, to have all the information. Now, the other thing about the Colts is that they, they have not made uh, much use of the pro days. So I think for them, uh, they're putting more stock in, in their own private evaluation, which I think is fine. You know, they may want to see things that, that they may not see in the pro day because the pro day is very scripted. Uh, in, in the private workout, you can both get one-on-one time and you can also put them through the paces uh, the way you would like so that you orchestrate that workout as opposed to the player and his private coaches orchestrating the workout. So, you know, you can emphasize certain skill sets that you want to see, et cetera. So I, I understand that approach, and I, I think there's a lot of value in what the Colts are doing there. So if anything, the takeaway would be uh, this is a lot of effort they're putting into it, and it just – solidifies for me that this is going to be a quarterback pick. Steven, I'm just appreciative of the fact that every day you can take the same questions (laughs) and find a way to create content in either interviews or online because we don't know anything until we get to the draft and it feels like it is crawling in our direction. But uh, appreciate all the insights and we'll see what comes out of uh, some conversations over on West 56th Street this week. Yeah, I'm about to to spin it again in this uh, 2,000-word quarterback story I'm writing now. (laughs) Looking forward to that one. Yeah, maybe some 2024 prospects in there just in case things go a little bit crazy, right? That's right. Let's go crazy. Thanks, Stephen. Enjoy right. a pimento and cheese on us today, all right? Uh, we'll see. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Steven. That's Stephen Holder from ESPN. Uh, I got plenty of them. I, mean, yeah, I know, you do. One, just let me know. If that's the deal breaker, maybe to make a, a trade happen, too, like we could start throwing those into the mix um, with the Arizona Cardinals. I'll put I don't them know in the how freezer. Well, yeah, channels out there and takes them. You know, I keep looking at the, the draft order in here, too. And I know we're up against it because we got rate come up at the bottom of the hour. But he makes a great point about the value because I go back. It's like people were so mad the Colts didn't trade up to number one. And then when you saw what they got from Carolina, and I understand that you wouldn't have given the exact same. But here's they got what they got in a draft where they in the Bears case, they didn't it didn't matter how far they fell down the board in terms of what the pieces that they're going to get picking up. The Colts just couldn't match. There's no way you can match that in terms of a, a game-changing receiver, the draft capital that you sort of gave. I just don't believe it. It's not in the Colts' nature to give up what they gave. That's a that's a debatable thing. I can see your face. It just, is. Just let me continue because we're up against it, okay? All right. Just let me continue because right. I don't want to debate right now because it, yeah. it, it would go too long. We'd have to tell Rake we're going to have him on a different time. If they trade up, though, now, then I'm going to be mad. If they give up for a premium now, I will be mad. I understand. That's, what all, I, that's, all, I, that's, I'm that's what I'm saying. That's all I'm but, saying. But I, I I like his point, though, of who's going to provide Arizona. Is it Vegas? Is it Detroit, Seattle? It can't be that much because all guys in the same sort of boat, you have to make those moves if you're a team below the Colts because you know that you're stuck with whatever's left. And if you really like Richardson more than Levis, which is what it sort of sounds like is the lean. People are more trading up for Richardson than they are for yeah. Will Levis. And that maybe you actually do get value from the Cardinals. If the Cardinals come back and say, look, no one's offering us what we would like to get. That's a scenario I'm okay with. So I'm okay with that. If but the if, phone call is. But if it's if it's next year's first, I don't even, no chance. Sure. No chance. Zero chance I'm trading next year's first for one spot up. Or if the call is like that result happens because instead of, hey, no one's really interested, but we, you know, we don't really love this pick. What would you give us if it's instead, yeah. hey, the Raiders are on line one. They're giving us, let's take out the first for a second. They're giving us two seconds and two thirds. You want to try to play with that? No, I'm not. not I, doing I, it. I agree with that. But I, I think 
I don't think at this moment in time for these two particular quarterbacks, you're leveraging your future by giving up your 2024 first round Absolutely pick. Absolutely not. Which no. you would have had to do to go up to number one with the Bears pick and then some additional materials based off of the haul they ended up getting yep. from Carolina. And I wouldn't have, again, we don't have time for it. I wouldn't have been mad had they done that. Like, I, I still think if Stroud or Young pans out and you're telling me that I understand that you can make a conversation, DJ Moore is better than Michael Payman Jr., but if that's all it would have taken, yeah, I have a little hesitancy there. I could have stomached it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's still a it's still a crapshoot. It's not a generational quarterback. Sure. No, no, it is. And I, the the grades outside of Bryce, and I'm not sold on Bryce Young. I think he's got all the tools. Yep. But he's he's a walking pancake. Yep. I've had this conversation away from being on the shelf. Sure. I mean, I, so who knows what's gonna happen? You know, who never has to be scared about getting hit and knocked out of action Greg Rextra and just keeps getting up and keeps on going he's going to talk to us coming up here right after the break fan midday show continues Jimmy Cook will ask it with you here on a beautiful Monday afternoon welcome back to the fan midday show along with Will Haskett I'm Jimmy Cook Eddie Garrison guiding us through the afternoon appreciate you hanging along with us just talked with Stephen Holder that conversation will be up of course wherever you get your podcast 1075thefan.com to search the fan midday show joining us now also be a part of the podcast is one Greg Rakestraw you hear him later this week on the fan midday show on Thursday before we dive into a plethora of conversations Rake it's time to make myself feel a little bit more uh, clownish your thoughts on pimento cheese sandwiches am I a loon or have you ever consumed them and enjoy I have consumed and enjoyed. Of course I would he has. not say that it's something that I uh, seek out on a regular basis, but for those that marvel at the amazingly low price of said pimento and cheese sandwiches when you're at Augusta National, just remember that's after you gave one of your kidneys to actually get into the building. So, <laughs> yeah, the tickets aren't cheap. Ten grand for a four-day pass the, the on the polos secondary market. aren't cheap. Yeah. The hats aren't yeah. cheap. Yeah. Ten million a day. In merchandise, <laughs> they do down there ten million dollars a day in uh, merch. All right, Rake. So many different ways we could go, and I know that these guys really want to talk soccer. So that's where I was going to lead off. Uh, the Arsenal Liverpool draw yesterday. Is it now? Is is Man City now inevitable? Is that where we've arrived at in Premier League? <laughs> I'm stunned that that's the way the way you want to begin. Absolutely, you're my soccer expert. Soccer Let's go off the uh, off the top of the show. Yeah, they needed to keep that more than, say, like a three-point buffer, knowing that they've got a match in hand and knowing that seemingly Man City has got their number. The only (laughs) thing that I could imagine could slow down City from winning again would be the fact that, understandably so, because they've now won the league a myriad of times and had never won the Champions League, at some point there could be a slip-up because their focus is on the midweek match and not on the Saturday match. It's It's the only sense that I can make of it. But, yes, even though getting a point was better than no points yesterday, um, the fact that now those two will likely be level after the time they get even on matches and play each other, you think City's taking them the title. I would agree with that. I would agree with that, too. All right, Jimmy, save us. So I, I had to do that because I know you guys wanted to talk so much soccer <laughs> in this segment. I mean, look, no, no. I Like, like Rake knows that I, I enjoy my fair share of soccer consumption. I'm, I'm brightened in terms of what the Premier League title race could look like now to think that, like, Man City's back in the hunt, like what that final 7-10 to 10 match day is going to look like. Um, turning the car a little bit, though, Rake. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I guess since we've talked about it a little bit to start the show, and I know that you're all consuming around the sports world as well, uh, your overall thoughts on, on Masters weekend and just your, the takeaway of it of John Rahm winning a green jacket. You know, I'm, I'm happy for him. Obviously, you know, and, and Will and I have talked about this on the air before to me, still the – 
the main storyline in golf is is not about an individual. It's tour versus tour. Uh, and, and I have lost track whether this is a Ryder Cup year or a President's Ryder Cup, Cup year. And, uh, thank you. And so, Brooks so gets and he gets points. I don't want to cut you off, Rick, but Brooks Kepka gets Ryder Cup points for his performance yesterday because it's a PGA of America run program, not a PGA Tour event, which is very complicated to the people that don't understand that those are two separate entities. So yeah. if Brooks had won yesterday, it's close, especially if he plays well in one major rake of him having enough points to make it on points, which would lead to a really interesting conversation later. Sorry to interrupt, just wanted to make sure we get all the uh, the things out there. That's quite all right, but I understand the importance of the President's Cup when it was started in 94 because at that point in time, you know, more of the better non-American players were not from Europe. You know, VJ Singh, Nick Price, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, the importance of that event, maybe, maybe in this, maybe not in like in Asia, so to speak, um, or Australia. But you know, here obviously we're much more focused on the Ryder Cup. I'm really hoping that by the time 2024 rolls around for the Presidents Cup, we have ditched that format and it's full-on PGA Tour versus Live Golf. Mm-hmm. That's the blood death cage match that I want to see in golf is the live golf guys against the PGA tour guys. <laughs> Cause to me, that's the most compelling rivalry in the sport right now. Cynical me wonders if live will still be around in fall of 2024 for us to make that happen. But you know what? Endless money makes, keeps the lights on yep. for a lot longer than it needs to. Uh, Rake, there's so much going on in sports. It's the, why we love where we are here in central Indiana. Cause there's always something going on. There's a, a pro day going on today for central Indiana guys from an NFL draft standpoint, you know, everything about anything that is sport in this, state more than any of us do give me a couple of guys former prep football players in indiana who i should be all i care about as a quarterback right now for this draft give me some hometown give me some hometown hopefuls to hope for coming up in the draft in a couple of weeks oh my goodness i believe that name is julius brents and i forget where he played his college football at but he is a warren central kid he has been testing very well so in terms of say like the guys that are off the radar he is the one that you would pay attention to. The obvious choice is DeWan Jones. And I remember having this conversation debate four years ago. You know, is he going to play college basketball? He really was a basketball kid first and a football kid second. And, you know, was he a Big Ten level basketball player? No. Could Chris Holtman have used him this year at Ohio State? Yes. He would have helped them. But probably from a recruiting standpoint, he's more of a mid American conference or rising league level player. Uh, and I kept thinking, hey, he can go to football eventually. Well, clearly he made the right decision. He's probably going to be a first-round draft pick as a right tackle. And his measurements are absolutely insane. You know, they normally have to put 40, 50 pounds on a kid to be an offensive lineman. He's the one kid they'd take 20, 30 pounds off of because he's such a large human being. And the last basketball game of DeWan's I got to call would have been the Indiana-Kentucky All-Star game at Bellarmine in the summer of 2019, and as he goes up for a dunk, I literally hear the groans from the crowd, is the rim going to hold him? Is he going to bring down the entire basket support, and is our game over at that point? The rim held up just fine. He's a phenomenal athlete, and he is a great kid. So clearly, kind of like last year, we were following the story of George Karloftis and David Bell. Uh, Dewan is, is the guy that has that kind of headline ability of local players this year. The Brents kid is the one that's kind of off the radar. You should be paying attention to. 
Great, Rake Shaw, nice enough to take some time with us here on The Fan. Rake, we are transitioning away from, from the hyperbole and, and the rose throwing toward Shane Steichen. And now that he's here with, with uh, a practice availability, being able to start early in the offseason program for them now, since they have a new head coach in tote. Uh, what are you monitoring this week as we get closer and closer to their first uh, voluntary workout uh, at the back end of this month? Uh, what all are you tracking outside of the draft with this new era beginning for Colts football? Oh man, it's the draft, and, and I understand that yes, OTAs and 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 the off season program. If this gets underway, and while the pro day takes place today, kind of the first meeting with with Shane and players that are back takes place on Wednesday. But because there is this, you know, huge chunk of the puzzle that has yet to be decided, every the next couple of weeks is is, is nice. It's important. You got to go through it. You got to install the new offense. But in theory, the guy that is going to get at least some level of snaps, if not all of them, you know, that guy is not yet on your team and, and won't be officially for about 17 more days. So this is all prelude. This is all build up. But what really is going to be the most important thing is what's going to take place on Thursday, April the 27th. And that is the first name called by the Indianapolis Colts, whether that's a pick four, whether that's a pick three. I hope it's not after pick four, but it's always a possibility. Uh, but but it's 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 the quarterback man that that's it and and yep. and everything else is secondary at this point. Greg Rakestraw joining us and to follow up on that question, Rake, if you go by just how this draft is shaping out, if you're at three or you're at four, there are two guys that you're going to probably have on the board unless something crazy happens above them. I, I, I guess there's still maybe an outside chance that Richardson goes in the top two if someone just falls sure. absolutely in love with his measurables, which would probably behoove the Cardinals, who apparently have shopped it to six teams, to hold on as long as possible and maybe even wait until they're on the clock to make that yep. move, depending on what happens above them. So them making a trade before then, they'd have to be overwhelmed by that offer. But let's just say it falls the way it looks right now between Richardson and Levis. I'm not saying they're the same player, but they offer the same sort of measurables in terms of size and escapability from the pocket, one more prone to probably run than the other. I mean, I'm not saying you're going to start building offense around a hypothetical, but we sort of see what the future of this team can look like in what Shane had last year and what the likely makeup of the signal caller of the future is going to look like if we start to really try and project this hypothetical. Correct. And, and, and again, you know, are, are the Colts willing to move up to three? And they're not going to get above that because Carolina's made their move. Houston's not trading with them. And so, again, if the board falls as you'd expect, some combination of Stroud and Young are going in the first two picks. So it comes down to Levis and Richardson. And if I had my druthers, I'd probably lean towards Richardson. And I know that there are a lot of question marks with that. But I also know that there's a home run potential there. And I would probably – especially with a guy that I think is a, is a pretty solid backup and, and a secondary option in Minshew. And knowing kind of the pieces that you've got around him in Jonathan Taylor uh, and obviously an offensive line that we've seen greatness and, and we've seen terrible uh, in, in a not-too-wide you know, swath of, of time frame uh, from some of the same players. But, but knowing that, again, what you think is possible, I probably lean towards Richardson. How exactly the Colts are, are going to lean, I don't think any of us truly have an idea. Chris Ballard's pretty good about playing that pretty close to the best at this point. So if you ask my, my prediction, Richardson. But do I think the Colts are willing to give up a King's ransom to move up to three to get him? No, I do not. 
and hence it may become Levis almost by default. Is there any scenario, Greg Rakeshaw joining us here on the fan, where Levis by default is not intriguing enough so that even though you joked about it a second ago, they aren't taking a quarterback there or they trade back? Is that on the board? Again, I think it's possible, and clearly we have a track record of, of, of Chris Ballard doing that. Right. But I also I also think there is there is certainly acknowledgement that, hey, how you have done business in the past has not worked. And again, for you know, the way the last four years have played out, I can easily understand and and value the logic of every quarterback move they made, you know, from two thousand twenty to two thousand twenty one to two thousand twenty two. I get all of that because of where this team was. And it was definitely, hey, we're not rebuilding or retooling, depending on how you want to define that. But let's get a veteran quarterback because of the pieces that are around are in place. And we need a guy who doesn't need a guy to be a pro bowler. Just be good. Just play to your league average position, and this team's going to be fine. And the law of diminishing returns and results kicked in, especially in 21 and 22. And so with that, you know, you have to acknowledge – you don't get a chance to pick in the top four on a regular basis. At least you better hope not. And clearly a a regime, a front office, doesn't get multiple chances to pick at that spot. So give me give me the quarter if it's even the fourth best quarterback, give me the quarterback at four, not trading down and, and then looking at a Hendon Hooker, another op- opportunity or potentially drafting a guy next year. I still love the idea of Hooker. Well, I'll get into that. I'll get into the last hour of why I think that's a good idea. Uh, this is normally when we say goodbye to our guests uh, in this, but I'm going to do a pull Jake Query here and go totally esoteric because I have the encyclopedia that is Greg Rakestraw <laughs> on the line here. About this time on Friday, we were celebrating a UND seven-inning no-hitter and a four-for-four um, performance. A shout-out to Brady Ware for doing that, Rake. I'm going to go even farther into that because that was an amazing thing if you're a baseball fan to see what that young man did. And then over the weekend, we get a minor league team that gets no hit and wins a game 7-5. to five. Now, I want to know. You can, give, you, you can give your love. I'll give you 30 seconds to talk about how awesome Brady Ware was, Rake, if you want to. But I want to know, have you ever seen anything in calling all of the numerous diamond sports that you have like a 7-5 victorious team that got no hit no that's stunning to me um i have called three different no hitters one of them in the old colt world series in lafayette i guess i had i guess i had four because i had a five inning one in that event last year uh that actually was a five inning perfect game but because it was five innings I'm like eh, i don't really get that fired up about it had one college one one high school and then one kind of at the youth level and i have seen teams lose no hitters in the past, you know, where, where like one nothing. I yeah. remember as a kid like Andy Hawkins, I think for the Yankees back before the Yankees were any good, when fact they were terrible, like he lost a game for nothing where he no hit the opponent. I think it was nineteen ninety eight for whom they were playing at that but I remember simply remembers Andy Hawkins. But that's what I'm trying to figure out and do the math on. How in God's name do you get no hit and score seven times? <laughs> that's the part that I'm trying to figure out. Seventh inning, a combination of walks, hit batters, defensive errors, wild pitchers. The Chattanooga Lookouts defeated the Rocket City Trash Pandas 7-5. to five. Poor Trash Pandas. Poor Trash Pandas, indeed. So, uh, some good things for the Reds. That was a, that's a typical Reds minor league 
situation right there, right? You can't summon any offense whatsoever, but you still find a way to win a game. That's a Cubs fan getting a dig in on the Reds whenever I possibly can. But uh, As a Reds fan, I will gladly take that given how bad we are and given that Ken Griffey Jr. is our fourth highest paid player this year on the team. Um, and the fact of, like, you know, the, the Indianapolis Indians, you know, got swept their opening weekend but suddenly are over 500 after their next week-long series. Why? Because they were playing the Louisville Bats, the AAA Farm Club. <laughs> so I, I, I get that completely. Misery loves company. That's, that's, that's so Bring true. Bring it on down. We're there with that's you. So true. Hey, Rake, uh, great talking with you. Have fun in this chair coming up in a couple of days. And um, how many games do you got between now and then? 15, 20? How, how many games are we going to call between now and then? Last, last week I ended up having eight. It's kind of a chill week this week. I have three. So I have high school baseball tomorrow night, high school baseball Wednesday night, and a little high school softball on Friday. I used to keep pace with this guy, and then (laughs) just it's it's a futile effort. And then you got a real job, you know, traveling around with the PGA. That's right. That's right. Long broadcast windows. You know, I'll trade a high school softball game for ninety-five degrees, seven, eight-hour broadcasts in the in the heat sometimes. So (laughs) you win. I had a college softball doubleheader on Tuesday, and we were done in three and a half hours. Oh, I got a college softball. College softball tournaments are best. Any any (laughs) softball tournament whatsoever is the absolute absolute best they fly through those games amen to that do you have any idea how many college softball tournaments jimmy you were talking to these two broadcasters with you right now we could give you chapter and verse on the horizon league division two division three i mean really nobody else would care so i'll stop talking right now how many weeks of your life have you spent in Cary, north carolina (laughs) (laughs) i have spent uh, over a month of my life yes yes amen to that brother NCA.com for life. We should have it tattooed on our back somewhere. All right. That's right. Thanks, Rake. Talk to you. See you, bud. Uh, that's a great Rick Greg Rakestraw. Sorry, we had to get off on a little tangent there. No, no, I totally when, get it. When they started streaming sports on the internet, I'm pretty sure it was either Greg or my face was the first thing that people started seeing <laughs> back in the day. We have we have traveled a lot of places in this country to call some obscure sports through the years. Um, yeah, the uh, the hooker stuff. I think that's a tease. Yeah. You want to get to it next? Go dive into next. That sounds good to me. You have it next here on the Fan Midday Show. I'm, I'm, I'm all in on the hooker. Let's do it. All right. So we're getting a little hand and hooker love and an angle there from one Will Haskett. I'm Jimmy Cook. Still to come as well. Alex Golden, top of next hour, will get his summarization of the Pacers season, uh, how disappointed he was with <laughs> the way things ended and where things go from here as we count down on that neck of the woods towards the actual draft lottery. But... Potential third option for the Colts at quarterback. We'll ask him to dive into that along with me here in just a moment on the Fan Midday Show. It's the Fan Midday Show. I'm Will Haskett. Sitting in with Jimmy Cook today. Glad you're with us. Get outside, do something. Holy cow. Is this the best week of weather of the year? Yes. The answer is yes. And I'm not saying up to this point. This might actually be the best week of weather of the entire year. Like, not take too it, hot. Not too Take cold. advantage of it right now. Yes. I'm going to try and squeeze... Maybe a little range session in this afternoon, and I've got tea times tomorrow, Thursday, and Friday. Let's let's Very get jealous. this thing going. Very let's jealous. get it. Well, I'm, I'm working all the month of May, so I got to figure out a way to get some golf in. Okay, the, the quarterback carousel. I've been on these airwaves talking about golf, and then I'll somehow work in a little thing. I say this somewhat tongue in cheek, but I feel like the Hendon Hooker experiment is completely worth the risk. So hear me out on this one, Jimmy. If we say, let's just say, for argument's sake, that the top four quarterbacks in this class are interchangeable. 
Okay, so we can poke holes and flaws. It's agreed across the board that no one is an absolute slam dunk. Bryce Young might have the highest rating, but he's also the smallest of the group. So that comes with its own inherent risks. Obviously, Richardson tested off the charts, but can he really run a pro offense? All these sorts the of weaknesses things. are not fake. They are glaring when you. Everybody has bring weaknesses. Yes. Everybody has strengths. Yeah. Just throw them in a Yahtzee cup and roll them out and see what happens and pick the, the highest number. We think that we have one, if not two, quarterbacks that will be rated at the same level, if not higher, in next year's draft class. Okay? May not have to draft them because, say, you've got one of these teams drafting behind you. Detroit. Vegas. You can go on down the list a little bit. Maybe even like a Minnesota, if they're looking long-term. And they're like, you know what? I really like the traits of either Levis or Richardson. And the Colts, who are very gifted at trading down, not very gifted at trading up when it comes to their track record, but very gifted at trading down, make that move down, swap first-round picks, pick up and be a second-rounder this year and a fifth or something next, depending on how much you have to give up, wherever it might be. You start accumulating some stuff. You can take Hendon Hooker late first round if it's a team there. You might even get them sliding to the second round because you know you're not going to have them because of – the knee injury you get to work him out see what happens as he's coming back going into the draft next year you've gained capital to where you're not losing necessarily pick equity in terms of total number of picks in this draft you can address offensive line or cornerback or add more guys into the trenches you may get as some have said the second or third best quarterback prospect in this class if he hadn't been injured and is obviously a little bit older than some of those guys, which maybe takes a little bit of shine off of it. And if it doesn't work and you roll Gardner Minshew out there for the entire season and you end up with a top five or ten pick with some extra draft capital, you could make a move back up next year for the kid from USC or was it May, Drake... uh, uh, this is why I should be prepared for this um, argument. Drake May. Drake May. North Carolina. Yeah, the North Carolina quarterback of the kid from USC. I'm just saying... If we're about accumulating resources, just go accumulate resources. Now, this town would absolutely revolt, I think. Here's my spot. And look, it's a tough area in general when you're grading prospects out of college. But I have become just so enamored with the coverage on Will Levis and, and people that sometimes want to defend Will Levis and, and and the fact that he had some similar struggles that Anthony Richardson did at Kentucky where he's having two different offenses that he's having to, to work underneath and there's a lot of yeah buts for him there. I would almost rather trade back and go get Hennon Hooker than I would take Will Levis. Really? I'm, I, I don't know fully what it is if it's the critique on him that when defensive minds show different coverages at him. He gets confused. He gets lost. His decisions, he doesn't always trust his instincts. That There's a lot of marks against him. And yes, the same can be made for Richardson, but Levis doesn't have the same upside carrying him that a lot of Richardson uh, triumphant people want to bring to the table. For me with Levis, all the negatives scares me to a point that we say, hey, maybe he's there. You got to take a quarterback at four. You take him and he doesn't pan out is the vision that I have for him right now is that he, he's going to be a quarterback that is in a league four or five years. And that's, yeah. that's the end of it. You're back to square one. I'm not saying that means Hennon hooker works, but if you gain more capital or even if you don't take hooker, you trade back and you get a defensive piece. That's able to be a true stalwart down the line for whatever quarterback you take next year. It's not a take Colts fans want to hear, yeah. but 
I, I don't know that I want to. We've t- said for a long time, take a quarterback because you want to do something new. If you don't believe in Levis enough, don't take him just for the sake of taking him. I, I agree. I can deal with a year of Gardner Minshew. I can do it. I don't know if Colts fans can. I can do it for one more season. I, I think they're look. I think they're going to take a quarterback at either three or four. Yeah. And I actually think it might, even with my plea here, it may have actually been. It might be the right thing to do. If we hadn't gone through a Carson Wentz year and a broken Matt Ryan year, and this was two years ago, and you happen to be in this position from a draft standpoint, yep. I think making the move back would have made a ton of sense. But I think right now, everybody is desperate, and that desperation is going to lead you to doing what is probably the easier pick instead of not. Big pick coming up for the Pacers this summer as well. We'll get into that with Alex Golden and more coming up in the final hour. Welcome back to the Fan Midday Show. Jimmy Cook, Will Haskett, coming to you here from the DriveHuber.com studios, high above the circle in downtown Indianapolis. Want to welcome in our next guest, Alex Golden of Setting the Pace podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Always nice when he stops by and makes some time with us. You thought that we, we being me and Will Haskett, were frustrated with the way things ended yesterday. Uh, Alex Golden probably more so as kind of your nightmare scenario as you tweeted along for your following on Twitter. Alex uh, played out yesterday in that win over the New York Knicks to end the regular season. Yeah, I mean... At the end of the day, it is what it is. I mean, it just changes lottery odds a little bit, but, you know, being potentially in, you know, tied for six, going to tied for seventh, and maybe falling to eighth, you know, best odds, that seems a little bit, uh, you know, frustrating as a fan because you could have been a few spots ahead. So, I mean, obviously, cool to see the guys finish the season with a win, but. You know, it, it just really stinks. And if you look at it from a from a draft perspective, and then of course the Rockets getting a win over Washington after Washington won on on Friday night, which I think was a little bit surprising that they won that game too. So the fact that they lose to Houston, and now you might actually lose the uh, the thirty second pick in the draft, it just it does hurt your assets a little bit and what you could do this off. And that thirty and that thirty second pick obviously means a lot if you paid any attention to this Pacers team this year and what late ra- yeah. late first round, early second round picks can be, Alex. Uh, we talked a lot about this in the first hour about what they have, what they still don't know that they have, but any combination of this and how important this draft is to back up how good the last draft was, if you had to guess about what the the total capital would look like when that draft kicks off in a couple of months' time, where do you think the Pacers are going to be? Are they going to try and bolster this roster with four to five picks, or are they going to do their darndest to try and, and capitalize on that capital to make the biggest splash to add what maybe is one or two missing pieces that this roster needs? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that you know last year we thought they might try to get back into the draft and they weren't able to do it, and they kind of you know stuck with their guns and, and kept their same picks they had. I don't really see if they do end up getting that 30-second pick with the Rockets. I don't I don't really see them being able to draft four guys and go about building the roster out that way. So I personally think that those assets are more enticing and intriguing because of what you could do with them. Now, we obviously saw Nimhard with the second-round pick last year and the Pacers pick that they got uh, from Cleveland, which was the Rockets as well. So... You know, they've, they've benefited from that. But I do think that this is the year where they're probably going to try to 
maybe move those picks, maybe move future picks and make a splashier move. Don't know exactly who that's going to be because there's a lot of teams that are going to be looking to add players that could be on the market uh, via trade to get their rosters a little bit better for next year. Because I think, you know, you look at what Damian Lillard said yesterday about Portland. You look at how the Mavericks kind of fell out of things, you know. The Pacers are going to have some type of competition in trying to go out there and build this roster the right way. So I think just having the picks that they have is going to be huge. But I don't, I don't anticipate them trading their top ten pick. I think that they're going to take that player and then the other picks are probably more up for grabs and uh, maybe players on the roster could be moved as well with those picks if they feel like there's something out there. Alex Golden taking some time with us. You can follow him on Twitter at Alex Golden NBA, host of Setting the Pace, a Pacers podcast, as well as covering the Pacers throughout the course of the season into the off season. Alex, Will and I kind of went over our massive takeaways from this season. Overall, it kind of met the expectations we felt would occur over the course of this year. Obviously, the biggest story is Tyrese Halliburton being every bit as good as people hoped that he would be. When you look at stories outside of Halliburton, what are the biggest things that you'll hang your hat on from this season as you prepare for what the draft may hold for them? Yeah, I think if you're looking at this team, the next, the next big you know storyline I guess came from the season is just the growth of Miles Turner and the step that he took. You know, this is a guy that looked to be on the outs in the off season specifically, and then a lot of trade rumors all season long. He even gets asked about it on the Woj pod at the beginning of the year, and he kind of talked about his significance there and changed his agent during the middle of the season, and then ended up uh, you know renegotiating a contract to come back to the Pacers for, for a two-year deal so he can re-enter free agency when the salary cap goes up, but also, you know, sign the extension that he did so that they can have more spending money in the offseason. So I think that, honestly, like his growth and his pairing with Halliburton was something that I don't think a lot of people expected to happen as well as it did. And then, of course, your two rookies and Mathering and Nimhar really stepped up this year and showed that they can be legitimate pieces for this team moving forward. I think... Ben Matherin has been a little bit overlooked the last month or so as a guy that was in the Rookie of the Year race because he had been a part of that all the way up until probably February. And then come March and, and, and April, you know, it's been uh, Walker Kessler and uh, uh, forgetting the guy's name out of the now, Jalen uh, Williams. So, you know, it's like all these guys are ended up, you know, taking over for what he did. That's because the Pacers started losing more games. I think Matherin played fantastic uh, with, with uh, the Pacers this year as a rookie. And I think Nimhart, the responsibility that Carlisle put on him, not only be uh, a playmaker and a secondary playmaker with that offense, uh, he also had him guarding probably the best player on the team almost every game that was a guard. So his defensive presence and his defensive, uh, you know, challenges and, you know, responsibilities – Definitely not something you see from a rookie, but I think that Nimhart showed that he's well beyond his years as a, as a rookie. So I think that you got to feel great about that core forward. And then the last one here, I'll say quickly, just Aaron Neesmith. I felt like when he played specifically with Halliburton, we saw a totally different player. Now, I don't know if he's a starter long-term or not, but I do believe in his defensive ability, and I do believe in his catch-and-shoot shot making. I don't believe that he's a guy that can – you know, make shots off the dribble very well. Didn't see a whole lot of that, but as a 3 and D type of player, 
I think he could be very uh, beneficial for the team. Alex, you talked about roster construction, and when you look at this crew and so many different bodies and lots of questions to how they all fit together next season and then obviously who you add to that. So I'm going to give you full freedom through the draft, let's say it's let's say it's top three protected. They don't win, but they can sort of work through that spot in whatever it be whatever it ends up being, maybe six, seven, or eight in the top ten of the draft, and then either free agency or the ability to move for somebody else. I give you one free agent acquisition and one top ten draft prospect that's top three protected. I guess we'll say. So I'm, I'm adding too many things now. I said I was going to give you everything. I'm, I'm I'm actually giving you some limitations, but I give you two roster spots if you were truly to round out this team with a with a free agent acquisition and a top 10 draft pick, where would you, what would you do? What would you look to get? And what are the players that you'd be targeting with those two selections? Yeah. So with the top three is not being in play, I would assume that's going to be women, Yama, Scoot Henderson and Brandon Miller. Correct. So for me, I would, uh, I would look at Jarrett Walker. I really like his fit. And I think he could be someone that fits well next to miles. Now there is some people that worry about, you know, can he guard threes in the NBA? Can he guard twos? And we saw him in the NCAA tournament be switched on the on the smaller players and hold his own. Now he's still got a long ways to go. He's a young player, but I'm intrigued by him. So that would be probably my first choice as of today. Which my opinions will change probably over the off season just because that's how it goes. But that's what I'm looking at. And then if I'm looking via, did you say via trade? Yeah, I mean, if there's either either straight up free agent, or if you know that there's somebody that's probably going to be on the move, where you could package those late yeah. picks for. I mean, like, I mean, we're not trading for you know a guy under contract. We're not trading for Jason Tatum. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, if there's somebody you know that's kind of out there. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the default answer has been a lot of people's minds is just because there's a lot of rumors of OG and Anobi. I mean, that would that would make a ton of sense, but once again, he's got a player out since the end of the year. So, what are you willing to give up for a guy that could leave you? after one season. I don't know if that's the smartest route to go and if you have to give up a bunch of stuff to get him. So I think that's kind of like, you know, it's, it's realistic, but how realistic is the Pacers talk about being aggressive in the offseason. So I think that's the name to keep an eye on. But, you know, if you're looking at free agency and you want to add maybe somebody that might not cost as much, someone that's played under Carlisle before, is a veteran presence. He's actually played with Tyree Taliburn and Buddy Hill. That's Harrison Bonds. He's a free agent this year. I would I would expect the Kings to probably want to bring him back, but was getting Chris Murray uh, or Keegan Murray, excuse me, Keegan Murray, last year in the draft. Do they still you know want to pay Barnes if he's wanting to get paid? How do they go about that? But I think it's kind of been a little bit under the radar since he was with Golden State. I feel like he was kind of a scapegoat for that team. Obviously, didn't have the greatest finals and greatest playoff run with him, but he was so young at that point too. I just I think that I think Harrison Barnes is a guy that. Could make a lot of sense um, if you're trying to add in someone that knows Carlisle's system and is a veteran presence that could help this team get back to uh, you know making the playoffs. Alex Golden, nice enough to take some time with us of setting the pace. Alex, when you look at the roster as it stands right now, the pieces that'll be present, draft picks aside, trade pieces aside. When you look up and down, where is a name that could potentially be on the move or wouldn't surprise you if they weren't with the Pacers next year that's still currently under contract? Yeah, unfortunately, I think you have to look at Chris Duarte as the first guy. I think not not necessarily because he's a bad player. I think it's more so because of his inability to fit in with the roster that they currently have. There's so many guards right now that I think are above him in the pecking order, and he's suffered a lot of injuries. 
since he's been in the NBA. He's a little bit older when he was drafted, and he was drafted for the team the Pacers had before they went in this rebuild. So I think that, you know, unfortunately he didn't play a lot down the stretch of the season when they were, you know, trying to develop their young players. I think that he could have benefited from that. But I just feel like the sample size right now, uh, it's not like – Small, but it's not large either. We haven't seen enough of Duarte with this group to feel great about it, but I think he's still on that rookie contract, and I think that any guy that can, you know, shoot the basketball and play a pretty solid defense on a rookie contract, teams that are trying to buy someone cheap could, could be really interested in them, and I think that's going to keep that's someone to keep an eye on as potentially on the move this off. Alex, there's a lot of conversation as the players are sort of making their way into the offseason. I thought one of the, the bigger sound bites of the morning was Miles Turner talking about how he wants this team to find more of a defensive identity, get back to some of the stuff that they were doing when they were a playoff sort of team. Uh, it sounds good in theory. We obviously have seen the product. We know it has to get better on the court. Is that something that's going to happen internally or do they have to go externally to make that type of culture change happen defensively? Yeah, they're going to have to – I think it's honestly a little bit of both. You're going to have to ask guys to get better. I think, you know, while Nimhard was really solid as a rookie, there's still things he can obviously improve upon. But Ben Matherin, if he wants to be a long-term starter in the NBA and, and be more than a scorer, which I think we saw growth from him this year, if I'm not discrediting him, but defensively Ben Matherin is going to have to really step up, especially if he wants to be a two-way guy. And I think even Tyree Taliburn has to step up as a defender. There's a lot of times where – He's guarding probably one of the weaker players on the other team. And, you know, those assignments were given to other players on the roster. I just think as a team defender, you know, there's been some nice things. Halliburton's really good at reading passes defensively, but I think he's going to have to step up his defensive game as well. And I think, you know, via the draft, via the trade market, via free agency, they're going to have to look at guys that can maybe hold their own a little bit more. I think they're too, they're too small at the four position. Aaron Neeson has played that a lot this year while he – was able to go out there and have some successful moments. I don't think that's a long-term solution. Was not the biggest fan of Jordan Ward's defense, and especially at the fourth position. So I think that while they've got you know some players out there that have shown that they can contribute to the team, I still just think they've got to go out and add a couple defensive players. But I think you got to see growth from your young players as well on that side. Alex, uh, one another point in the exit interviews today, uh, George Hill was asked about you know the direction of him, what happens next in his career. Uh, he, he had told uh, well, Weed Hotchkiss that he would love an idea of a uh, hometown kind of mentor role, kind of like what Udonis Haslam had with the Miami Heat. I don't know if that's necessarily in the cards or what the Pacers want to do, but as you look at what George Hill provided or his presence within that locker room over the last uh, post, post-trade deadline, I should say, is that something in the cards on both sides of the street? Yeah, I think it should be. I mean, I haven't heard anything, so I don't want to act like I have any inside knowledge or right. anything like that. But I do believe that it does make sense. I mean, you traded for George Hill, obviously, to acquire some second-round picks and get a flyer on board and you got rid of a couple of players via waving them that you weren't really invested in long term. I think George Hill needs a ton of this city, a ton of this franchise, and if there's a way they can maneuver and make a deal work where he's in that role and he's okay with it, that'd be awesome. You have to wonder, though, is there enough roster spot yeah. to keep both him and James Johnson? And if they have to pick between the two, who makes more sense? Now, I do believe that James is probably more okay with 
uh, you know, maybe going into a different role, maybe a retirement role. And I wonder if that's something that could happen if maybe he retires at the end of the season and joins the Pacers staff at some point. I don't know if that's going to happen. I'm just speculating, but that can make sense to me. And then you keep George as like that veteran locker room presence that I think is much needed because we saw the impact that it had on this young team already this season. So overall, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. And if for some reason they have to make a decision with all three of their point cards that they have between Nimar, McConnell, and Halliburton, uh, you know, obviously McConnell will be the odd man out. So do you look to maybe move McConnell and then pack in George Hill as that third string point guard? Won't play a lot, you know, hoping that those two other guys are helping them hard in Halliburton. But, you know, I think George Hill proved that he's still got enough left to take that, hey, if you need him to step up and play 10 to 12 minutes, you know, a couple of different nights throughout the regular season, you don't feel, you know, bad about it. So that's something to keep an eye on. Alex, 365 days from right now, we look back on this upcoming year and we say, wow, this guy took huge steps forward and now is a part of the what could be a great future for the Pacers. Yeah, I think you got to go Benedict Matter at this point. I, I mean, I, I thought last year we would see some growth from some of our sophomore players, but unfortunately they just really didn't get the opportunity, I think. You know, we talked about Duarte already with the injuries he had in Isaiah Jackson, just the amount of bigs. The Pacers continue to put on the roster, even at the training for bonus. They just love the centers. They can't get enough of them. So I just feel like Matherin is that guy that could really benefit from playing all season next year as a starter. And I think that we're going to see continued growth from him on both sides of that. Alex, always appreciate your time. Uh, I close with this because I guess the, the theme that we've had is just random questions to close or open interviews. Um, been getting a hard time about my pimento cheese sandwich I brought in today post-Masters. Uh, are you a pimento cheese guy? I will say it's okay. Um, I, if you haven't been to, to Tupelo Honey, which is new downtown by the Alexander, and got some pimento cheese dip with some tortilla chips, I will yeah. say that is pretty fire. Um my wife is a bigger pimento cheese fan than I am. I think it's good, but I will say the dip is, is what made me like pimento cheese a little bit more than I had. So it's uh, it's like a six out of ten. I, w- I wouldn't say it's bad, but I wouldn't say it's great. Didn't, yeah. didn't help me there, but well, that's okay. So if you take some tortilla chips or maybe some pita chips <laughs> and you put it inside the bread so it's like eating dip with a sandwich, then it's going to be a little bit better. It's a game changer. It's, no, it's not a game changer. It's just more redeemable. <laughs> That's really what we're looking at right now. Anyway, we can redeem your choice of lunch because you're going to have it for nine straight days, right? Yeah, I don't. Straight... I don't envision nine of those being okay. eaten at some All point right. that right. they're going in the trash. Okay. I don't think I can do nine straight. No, can't right. do it. Alex, you could do nine straight, Dale. You rolled through all season long, and you're still rolling through as well in the lead up to the draft lottery. Always appreciate your coverage. Always appreciate you making time for us. Absolutely, guys. Thanks so much for having me on, and hope y'all have a good rest of your day. Thanks. You as well. It's Alex Golden. Follow him on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA, host of Setting the Pace. 180-degree difference between these two franchises. We talked about the Colts for the last hour or so, and then this one in terms of resources. The Pacers have more than they know what to do with. And I'm not saying that they're, they're championship quality, but when it's the Colts and we were making and again, I don't necessarily believe that a trade back for Hendon Hooker is the right direction, but it wouldn't kill them to try and accumulate more resources than give up what little they have to still gamble on whatever the quarterback might be. For the Pacers, you can't, like you said, you can't draft four guys. You don't have four spots in yeah. your roster. You're going to get rid of four guys right now on this roster to be able to do it. So if you're going to swing, now's the time to swing. 
in some way, shape, or form. If that's moving two firsts to get some guy that's even on an expiry, like, I don't have a problem with the gamble of OG and Obi on a one year he could walk at the end of it if you have to give up. Maybe you give up your second first round pick or your second and your second sure. rounder. I don't know. Like, but you just got to do something because. Like we were talking about, can you assemble this team in a way where you're a little bit deeper in terms of your rotation that sounds well and good until you get to this week? You know, why were the Pacers so exciting and fun to watch in November and December? Because they cared more. Yeah. (laughs) Hustle and defense. Well, hustle. Let's let's say defense. Hustle will win you games in the NBA with a less talented roster in November and December. Schedule is kind too. Yeah, depth will give you a good second unit. Yes, will win you games in November and December in the NBA. Hustle and depth, you need those coming up this week and over the next couple of months. But you also need dogs. You need dudes that can go and play and get you buckets and do all the things that we expect from all star sort of caliber players. So now is the time because you can swing if you're the Pacers and not mess it up. You could trade two of your three first-round picks for a guy you think is better than whoever you're going to get at six, seven, or eight, wherever it might be. And if it doesn't work out, okay. Like, you still have Matherin. You're going to have to extend Halliburton. So you're going to be tied into a, a core. You're and you can sort of player. work around yep. that core. Yep. So, yeah, this this is an interesting one because I think if you're a Colts fan right now, you could say – you could go either direction and we'll sort of slough it off like, okay – Okay, okay. Like, they don't have the number one pick. There isn't a, a, a knockdown. We want to have a quarterback. We want to have a future. But we also know that nothing is guaranteed. And you can just kind of like, I can see it in every direction. And we'll just kind of shrug our shoulders in whatever the pick or the draft might be. But I think if you're a Pacers fan right now, you're just like, let's just go. Like, I mean, they're going to be entertaining. You're not getting rid of the guys we really like. I think let's make some moves. Let's get crazy. And for me, like, you know you're going to have – a lottery selection within the the, the the top eight of the board, or you're going to have someone within there where you're, you're getting at least a quality piece that you hope gets you over the next hump. But my larger issue right now and why you know there's going to be some type of movement with those picks, they won't take them all. They're either going to trade up to get in a better spot in the middle of the first round, which would be you know two high-volume swings yeah. of the bat, or you trade up to go get a player uh, via another team's resources, right? The the combining either one of those avenues is fine. The larger path for me though is this was a year where you could get behind the fun and the, and the cuddliness of okay, this team's not really going anywhere, yep. but hey, it's better than last year. It feels like there's a roadmap and the, and the road is being paved right now so that next season, again, not saying it's Larry O'Brien contention, but it is you asked him 365 days from now it's not so much a player as much as it is a result. Yeah, I would like to see them be a playoff team, right. not a play-in team. I would a like to see them be team. a playoff team next year. They're probably a – I mean, okay. If they're the seven seed in the play-in, I'd accept that yeah, I mean, next year. Enough, sure. Because sure. at this point in time next year, we're not thinking we need another lottery pick. Right. Because how many lottery – well, unless you know that this year's lottery pick – completely flames out and doesn't even make it to the end of the first year. But they've shown they don't want to do that. Like they don't like the avenue no. of having to have there's a no, bad no, product. There's no guarantees there. there. Right, right. But we're not we're not attracting top level free agents. So are you going to get a guy at the end of a deal and then hope you can keep him here or work some stuff out now? They're not going to have the cap space flexibility that they've had because you just extended miles. You got to pay Halliburton. So now all of a sudden you've had this wonderful cushion to where you can be that third team in a number of trades. You can take on salaries. You can use a bunch of dead money and 
put yourself in an advantageous spot to collect these resources, but what are those resources really good for? You know, it in, unless you're able to hit at least one home run with them yep. or then use them forward to get a known commodity. Because we've seen this play out with a lot of the big trades before. I mean, think about even, you know, look what the Celtics have had to do to sort of re-identify who they were. They they hit with a number of their picks, but they accumulated so much talent that eventually, like, we've got to get rid of a bunch of these bodies yeah. and try and find a way to get a team to give us one piece for the three or four little pieces that we've had. And I'm not saying that the Pacers are at a moment where they can identify like the Celtics were, and they said, we know that we have a Tatum, a Brown, a nucleus to where if we sure. just go and give up some of our depth for a couple of pieces like uh, the, the big guy Williams and who they have in the middle that, okay, now we can assemble a starting five that we know can go out and win us a seven game series. We'll go one state over, right? right. You look at Cleveland yes. again, and this is an outlier for sure because it's so hard right. for small markets to land big talent. And but took you talk advantage. about taking yeah. a swing. They took a massive swing last yes. year. Again, the stars aligned. Donovan Mitchell was frustrated with where he was at U Utah. He wanted an out. He wanted a new destination. They took a big swing. Again, I'm not saying the Cavaliers are going to win it all this year, but they were in the conversation. Exactly. Yeah. And but but the converse to that is Minnesota backs up the truck (laughs) and gives five players and five (laughs) picks to the Jazz for Rudy Gobert, who just swung a punch and now is out of the playing game tomorrow. But you and I could agree that, and maybe the the Timberwolves front office clearly did not see this light that we see. Yes, I would rather have a dynamic guard playing forward than I would Rudy Gobert. No doubt. I mean, mean, that experiment made zero Zero. sense at the time. Yeah, and they're paying it for it right now, which is really crazy that. Every single logical person could see that that experiment was not going to work, and yet somehow it's blown up in their face. And um, and you're gonna have contract issues uh, coming up. I, I think I actually need to double check this before I say this because I can't remember if he signed an extension last year or where he's at in that regard. But you go from being a, a nice blossoming spot in Minnesota with, with Anthony Edwards and yeah. starting to have like, oh man, we're really grooving into uh, uh, the most optimistic time for Timberwolves basketball since Kevin Garnett. Like you're getting yep. into to that sort of realm of possibility and then you potentially destroy it all with this Rudy Gobert trade. I mean, it's, it's, it's fascinating. So what you're saying is as that dumpster fire starts to burn <laughs> more and more, maybe there's some embers that are floating off of it that the Pacers could trade resources for to go and get it. Let's give them five draft picks for Rudy Gobert. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Nobody's bringing Rudy Gobert into here. I don't think they let Anthony Edwards ever walk, but that's a guy that will just walk himself into free agency and Correct. take the money wherever he has to go. Yep. And Carl Anthony Towns doesn't fit. What other pieces? Do they have any other pieces that I want off of that roster? Probably not. <laughs> Nothing that, that jumps head. off the top. No, no, no. Remember, I mean, remember this last summer. Doesn't the DeAndre Ayton thing seem like a dream <laughs> that didn't happen? Yeah, it does. And I don't know. Again, I don't know how much drastically. It, I was so excited that day. But I was excited. There's like two yeah. hours there. We're like, are they going to match? Are they going to match? Are they going to match? You're like hitting refresh on your phone the entire day. So is this going to happen? Of course they matched. And I don't even think it was the right decision for them to do it. No. But it worked out. I think better for the Pacers. Yeah, I mean, you you look at yes, I would agree with that because the Pacers were making that move knowing that Miles Turner was done, that right. they were not going to have him as a part of their future plans. They are miles states apart on a contract extension. It's time Wasn't to gonna move happen. on and punt, and and he's a better fit yes. for this team than if you had brought DeAndre. Ayton. No, it's a full three sixty, and now you have him under contract. Obviously, it's a, it's one more season, but you are able to somehow get an extension working with Miles. You repair any bridges if there were any to repair to yeah. begin with, and. 
yeah, now he's a, a foundational piece when you look at next year and you look at for the first time in a while, you look at this roster and you're not pointing and saying, where's Miles going this right. offseason? And, yeah. and that's there's some comfort in that. Obviously, there's still growth that you want on a Miles Turner, but he's still very young by NBA standards. Yeah. And it's it's nice to not have that blanket over the franchise for at least an offseason. And you have assets. I mean, yeah. again, there's lots of assets. You could package those picks with a Buddy Heald, who I don't. No one wants to see him moved, but he has tremendous value for a contending yes. team next year with his shooting on an expiring deal. To where you know maybe that's part of your swing. I don't. I don't necessarily want to see it. Like he's exciting and fun to watch, but you still have some pieces before you get so clogged and bogged down with them. To where I agree with Alex. I mean, I don't see a pathway forward for Chris Duarte on this roster, but I don't know what value he has either. Yeah to go out and, and get anything in return, like a, another second-round pick. And I know those can be somewhat valuable, but, I mean, you don't want those resources to exhaust to the place where they have zero value either. Yeah, and, and I mean, it's it's a rock and a hard place, right? What's better, a, a late second? I mean, obviously, you're going to take the pick regardless, but letting him walk versus, uh, you know, yeah. or do you not find anything back in return. Yeah, or find a, a wing-heavy team that right. needs a, a two-guard off-the-bench sort of option, and you find you know, a change of scenery type of move that's out there and everybody sings Kumbaya afterwards and we're all happy. I don't, I don't know if that exists. You'd have to, I'd have to dig into some rosters that I just don't really want to dig into this afternoon because it's too nice outside. There is one wing heavy team that I would look at and I would throw everything that I could for at and that would be Mikhail Bridges. I would go You think they're going to the continue moon. blowing up? I think so. I mean, look at all the wings they have. They have him, they have Dorian Finney-Smith, they have Cam Johnson. Um, there's another wing over there that I'm forgetting yeah. about. And they have Spencer Dinwiddie. Like, they have some players. And, and if you're the Indiana Pacers, you need a wing. Mikael Bridges is available. I like that. Yeah, He is like incredibly available. He showed this year that he can be a shot creator and a shot maker. And his defense is all defensive team and potentially at the level of defensive player of the year. That is somebody that they're missing. And if they added a Mikael Bridges type of player to this roster, they would be so, so good. All right. Two late firsts. We'll throw in uh, Duarte and eight pimento cheese sandwiches, and we've got ourselves a deal. <laughs> Let's go. Let's get it going. I mean, uh, whatever. I, maybe, I, maybe some cash considerations. That's fine. I don't mind, mind sprinkling that in there, too. I went to a Nets game this year in Brooklyn. Yeah. Um, and it was awful. It was <laughs> – took my son there for his birthday to see the Warriors play. It was the night after Curry had injured his knee at the Garden. Mm. So then he's out. They didn't play anybody. They rested everybody. It was a 40-point game at the half, uh, Nets. And that arena has zero energy. I mean zero energy. And if you're listening in Brooklyn right now, number one, that's impressive. <laughs> number two, it was, embar- it was embarrassing. There was nothing to do in there. The only thing they would put up on the cameras in the breaks would be here's who this here are our celebrities sitting courtside like fabulous the rapper was there which i was like oh, i kind of like i liked his stuff sure, back in the day sure. it was like a bunch of like influencers i didn't know about and it was a bad game there was like zero crowd engagement it was it's a beautiful stadium yep. it was easy to access it got a subway stop right in front of the front doors but it was one of the worst environments i've ever been in from an athletic standpoint because there's no you go to the garden there's history there's something going on i mean it was it was bad bleak at barclays eh? yeah. was bleak. again if curry was playing if clay was playing i mean that was one there's of those games where there. they were sure archer diacono on that team i don't know who's on that one of those old villanova guards was on that team and he was like starting and played like 30 minutes yeah. got called up from the 
the uh, the G League. But that was a brutal environment. So yeah, let's go get him. I'm sure he's thinking, saying the same thing right now. It's like, man, I would love to go to an environment that loves its basketball and is rowdy. We'll bring him to Indy. Let's make that happen. I like it. There we go. Uh, we give Eddie the large majority of that commission fee, but maybe we can get a little, little sprinkle uh, off that if he's feeling generous. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, more on the countdown towards Colts draft day, just 17 days away. Uh, we'll dive a little bit further into those exit interviews, revisit uh, what interested Will the most from those exit interviews, plus bets to close the show as we roll on here on the Fan Midday Show. 93.5107.5 The Fan. Wrapping up final half hour of the fan midday show here on 93.5107.5 the fan and we'll ask it in today jimmy cook over there i knew he'd chime in did you see the text from our boy eddie white i did not thumbs down on the pimento cheese at augusta national he prefers the barbecue i see i think the barbecue is a bad sandwich too eddie i just do but of course he wouldn't leave our text to us alone without saying the greatest corn i ever had was in dining of course he was inside the dining room (laughs) eating inside the clubhouse he has to get that one in (laughs) at some point so we'll trade some more pimento cheese i guess to the brooklyn nets so we can make that mikhail bridges thing happen i'm putting the white flag up you're done if if, if eddie white drops a gauntlet says no I, that doesn't mean i'm still not gonna like them but i'm i'm the poll okay. is closed so on, here's what you're gonna do here's yep. what you do yep you're gonna swing through whatever your favorite chicken sandwich is on the way home. you're gonna get your chick-fil-a on the way home you're gonna yep. go home you're gonna take one of those eight remaining sandwiches <laughs> and you're gonna slather it on there and then see what happens report back oh, it'll tomorrow be, it, it will be delicious because i've had tomato cheese on chicken before i've had okay. it on burgers okay. well, before well, keep it, doing it. It, it it's good stuff so that's how you use up the rest of your pimento okay. cheese that's I, how it's gonna happen you're helping me be economical we'll my talk about it tomorrow this is my first and last time probably hosting the midday show so we won't be able to actually talk about it on these airwaves but just text me and let me know how it goes okay i'll let you know i'll give you a feedback report um no real food choices to make this week on the pga tour which i'm sure the rest of the audience would love for me to dive back into professional golf um rory mcelroy's not going to play this weekend guys are tired man weather was awful yeah not great way nicer in central indiana this past week than it was playing golf in southeastern georgia and they just head over to the coast and go to hilton head this week uh will zalatoris who withdrew before the start of the masters last week they initially said it was going to be a um that he just woke up and it was a little tightness well he subsequently had surgery on saturday he's out for the remainder of the season um i'm telling you what it's it's certainly a young man sport in golf and some of these guys Man, the toll they're taking on their bodies is with how hard they're swinging. It's unbelievable. So that's a that's a, a cautionary tale to a lot of guys that are out there right now because that's going to be two back surgeries in the last year um, or less than a year for Will Zalatoris, who's one of the rising stars or was only twenty six. Yeah, he's won once, but he's been such a contender in so many majors. He's become such a part of everybody's kind of consciousness of it all that everybody expected him to be kind of part of this next wave of talent. And if he, if his body doesn't allow him to get to that point, then you never know. We were talking about this last week with how you talk about the style of play from different quarterbacks, what's more injury prone, uh, the way that you throw the football or your mechanics in the pocket, maybe one style increases injury chance more than another. And you and I were kind of talking off air about the fact that that's also prevalent in golf, even though they don't talk about it a ton, that you can sometimes visually see that. Oh, yeah. Where a swing style, man, that's really going to potentially cause some long-term yeah. problems for player A or player B. Well, we've nerded out enough on this show today, but I can go way into the weeds if you needed <laughs> me to. But these guys are understanding how to leverage the ground more. So it's, it's no different really than pitchers in baseball and how much they're pushing off from the rubber. They're utilizing uh, their leg strength 
to then throw the ball as hard as possible. If you if you stood straight in one spot and threw, it would obviously be a slower pitch than if you gave it a full windup. And these modern golfers are leveraging what they call ground forces. I mean, they can measure all this crap now. So they'll put them on plates and they can see like how much of their weight is being supported on the front of their left foot versus the back of their right foot. But they're using that ground to torque their body. And it's why, you know, Tiger Woods had so many injury problems coupled with the fact that Tiger Woods was working out in a way that wasn't really good from a golf standpoint. He was working out for a number of psychological and, um, <laughs> traumatic reasons through the 2000s, you know, longing for his father and, and all that sort of stuff and just beat up his own body doing the wrong things and not focusing on the right muscles. But these guys now are focusing on the right muscles, but they're still always going to load up so much pressure on their lower back and their spine, especially if they're using the ground as much as they are. That's why a guy like Jason Day probably wasn't going to be able to play professional golf anymore and is completely redone his swing, so he's rotating more than he is. And we talked a little bit about Phil Mickelson at 52 years old. Phil's always been a rotational swinger of the golf club because he has an unbelievable amount of flexibility. He was born with and continues to hone this insane flexibility. I mean, he could put both palms on the ground at 52 years old, just reach over and palm the ground with both hands and he's a rotational swinger which is why he has longevity so there you go there's your golf nerd ground i use ground force reaction (laughs) plates in a sentence there sorry everybody driving around that's at least 10 points for you on on the board uh, here's we go purchase the science of <laughs> golf by me on amazon and barnes and noble wherever you can buy books uh staying in that same wavelength but this time in terms of what would be more humiliating or more embarrassing uh uh, shout out to one of my favorite players on my favorite team of the Kansas City Chiefs, Travis Kelsey, as a first pitch uh, last week uh, for the Guardians. I don't know if it was their home opener, if it was just one Didn't of the games where they spiked it. Yeah. Um, what is what is more traumatic, spiking a first pitch or shanking a? a I know that I know it's bigger for the Masters, but but if you were to yeah, we didn't have any cold hard shanks this past no. week, did we? We didn't really have a. Although um, Sati Gala yesterday was making a run and then wiped a six iron, I think on 15, it was as close to a shank as you're going to see. He started it right and it stayed right. He's He can hit a lot of foul balls. I mean, look, Brooks Kepka standing up on the first tee yesterday and hitting it down the ninth fairway as opposed to the first <laughs> fairway is about as bad of a start. It's just not a good omen. And he made par, which more power to him had a great shot you know through the trees to get it up and and gave himself a chance and he made four but those are the ones where it's one shot like all these guys will compartmentalize with sports psychologists and say that this particular swing is no different than the next one the putt on the final green is no different than the tee shot you hit on the fourth hole on thursday it's it's the same it counts as one when it's all said and done so focus on the next one but we're human and that's why we go and watch sports and you can do all of the work, all of the homework leading up. And that's a big part of John Rahm's story is he's done so much work behind the scenes to make himself a little bit less emotional and a little bit more um, robotically um, reactive, I guess you could call it. But as soon as Brooks Kepka tugs it left, and you know there's probably some scar tissue from a warm-up session that wasn't very good. Typically, these guys, if they're feeling really good coming off the range, they won't have that. But you can't tell me that that doesn't happen and you're sitting there in the back of your mind thinking, okay, how am I going to get this thing you know, righted. And it yep. wasn't, it wasn't, it was a bad tea game. By the way, Eddie, did you like my, my book plug there after our, 
our pre yes our pre Mike Greenberg nice conversation. Nice Thank job. you very much. I want to put myself <laughs> on the same on the same platform as Mike Greenberg here on these airwaves today. So just to summarize a bit of our Masters talk today, yeah, I shouldn't have hope for Tiger winning again, no, major, but no, I but, but 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 hope of him making it through an entire. We just want to see him make it. Okay. If he, if he can play eight tournaments a year. So four majors, his he'll always try and play his tournament in the Bahamas yep. in December, and then sprinkle in Riviera, which is sponsored by his foundation, and maybe one or two. If we can get eight tournaments a year out of Tiger okay. over the next three or four years, that would be a really, really good place. Um, John Rahm special, Kepka didn't choke. Correct. John, I, I wouldn't look. I wouldn't say that John Rahm played overwhelming historic level golf. He just played John Rahm golf. Sure. He's the best player in the world, and he was the best player for 72 holes. And if they had played a 90-hole tournament, he would have won by six. And if they added another 18 holes and played 108 holes, he would have won by eight. Like, he would have just kept being two shots better than the field every single round. And he wore down Brooks Kepka, who it, – it's interesting, like, they're going to make all the – there's so much conversation about live this and live that. And Brooks has walked all of that back. Like, I mean – he even mentioned in his press conference, I think on Thursday or Friday, it was, I think it was Friday, he said if his body hadn't been so broken and he hadn't been questioning if he could compete with the Scotty Schefflers of the world last year, he, it would have been a harder decision for him to take $100 million guaranteed and go. And if you believe a lot of the rumblings behind the scenes, I think there's some buyer's remorse there, although $100 million buys you a lot of remorse. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, so who cares, right? And yeah. I don't think he does at this point in time. But it's easy to also say, like, it's been a long time since he played a fourth round yeah. in a meaningful golf tournament. A long time. And the only guys that played really well yesterday off that live tour were Phil, who's a different cat, like a totally different, yep. you know, superstar type of player, and Patrick Reed, who can grind with the best of them. And he would grind for 90 holes or 108 holes or whatever it had to be. But, um, yeah, I, th- I think it's easy to point to that. And whether it's true or not, I don't know. But John Rahm's had way more competitive reps in 2023 than Brooks Kepka has, and it paid off for him in the final round. Rory, horrifically disappointing. Awful. Just inexcusable. And and it, who knows? I don't know if there's something to it physically, because he backs out this week. Um, I mean, he obviously had plenty of time off to get ready for this week's tournament and chooses not to play in it. And there's actually some ramifications for that, because this will be the second time this year that he's backed out of a, of a designated event on the PGA Tour. So there may actually be some... Um, some punitive damages to that as well but yeah it's that, that it had to have been all mental unless we find out something later about physical but it didn't look physical it looked mental less a fact but more of a take you mentioned it kind of in passing i think it was with our conversation with greg rakestraw you wouldn't be surprised if two to three years from now live is still thriving uh, they still have around the, they have the money to thrive for 50 years that, if that, they want that, to was my one to bring that here's back my a bit. here's my thing all we learned from this past week is that it's unfortunate whatever your take is on live versus the pga tour i believe in the pga tour's product it's more of a meritocracy i believe in the smaller tournaments i believe in a pathway forward i like the underdog stories all the things you don't get when it's 48 men playing in a guaranteed yeah. purse event with no cut the pga tour has made changes to mirror some of the things to keep some of their players and we can argue over whether those changes are good or not in a different venue but this past weekend should only have reminded us that now we only get to see this collection of players play together four times a year we used to be able to see them play against each other 
12 times a year or 15 yep. times a year, depending on which tournament it was and how good the field was. It's now just reserved to the four majors. It has made the four majors even that much more important to the sport of golf. And it has diluted the product of every other professional tour that exists out there that I don't think you can argue that. And I, that's a sad place to exist in because it's not a sport that is popular enough to sustain both of them and whatever you liked about the masters so if you love watching golf and you love this past week and you listed your top 10 things of what you liked about the masters i can i believe that a majority of the things on those lists you would get more of at a pga tour event than you would at a live golf event and so their product right now is not a good golf product sorry to my friends over at the CW wish TV <laughs> who have to air that garbage um, throughout the course of the year. Yeah. But it's, uh, it's just not a good golf product for what it is. Now, could it get better? Sure. Do they have the money to pay for it to get better? Sure. But right now we're just sort of stuck in this purgatory where the majors are going to gather a ton of attention and then we're going to split off and go our separate ways and fight for eyeballs each and every week. And thankfully I'm working for the one that plays 40 something tournaments a year instead of 14 because 40 tournaments pays more than 14. Jumping away from golf for a second. I don't know if you've weighed in on this. Maybe we can save it for next segment as well. I know you brought in the Hendon Hooker point of view, not that you were like saying this was going to happen. You were just entertaining the idea. Yes. Of, well, this is what that could like if this happened. The Anthony Richardson, Will Levis side of the coin. Are you? I have no, I have no, no? idea. I thought at the beginning of this, I, I kind of likened myself as a Will Levis guy. I felt like it was a, if you're not going to get the top two, I'm a, I'm a more conservative minded person when it comes to personnel. So give me the higher floor. And I've always thought that Levis is the higher. I mean, I think it's obvious he has the higher floor, but from a ceiling standpoint, Richardson's numbers now are jumping off the board. So I don't know. I, I guess my gut still goes with higher floor guys, but I'm not. Neither one of them's a slam dunk enough to where I'm sitting there saying, "Oh man, if you don't get one, I'm I'm so disappointed." And so that's why I'm kind of like, "Well, what if you kick the can and and maybe take a swing a year later when you may have two better prospects, or yeah. maybe the best prospect is waiting for you. He's just a year removed from ACL recovery." And, and that's kind of where I feel at times too, just because look. Everybody that we've talked to that, that covers the team has acknowledged two things. One, they think the Colts are going to take quarterback this draft at four. Yeah. And two, they're keeping everything very close to the chest. Couldn't that also mean then that it is still very plausible? And they've said, yeah, it's plausible. I don't think it'll happen, but it's plausible. There's a trade back or they really don't like what they've evaluated yeah. out of these guys. Like I'm, I understand there'd be probably frustration for Colts fans because it either means it's another punt year, so to speak. There's not a candle of hope that's present for them right away, yep. but it would fit into your overall point of if you don't believe in anybody, yeah, maybe kick the can another year. I know it's not ideal for the market, but it's not something that I keep wanting people to totally shy away from is an insane thing that could happen. No, I, I it, it could happen. The Again, if this was two years ago, I think Chris Ballard, the GM that would be more likely to make that happen. Yeah given the potential benefit of what you gain from accumulating resources as opposed to giving up resources to get a quarterback in that is a gamble no matter where you take it, a guy coming off injury versus two guys that have noticeable flaws despite the fact that they have both have upside. But I think everybody's reacting to a, we need to do this now. Yeah, like We have an, a coach, we need to get him a body that he can use and probably throw out there in some games this coming season 
to see if this is going to be the long-term stick and fit. And again, that's why I'm not saying that I think they're going to trade back. I just mean like the idea should still be present, but the overwhelming evidence, and to your point, yeah, you need to arm it with somebody. It, you brought in this new coach who has a track record of developing quarterbacks or being a part of the development of quarterbacks. Right. At some point, you got to take that swing. I agree. So we'll ask it. I'm Jimmy Cook. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, making money, we'll try to make some money for you to close out a I've Monday. Got stuff too. We'll have some as well. Let's yep, go. Let's Always go. love when a co host is involved with some bets, and you'll have some potentially on the other side here on the Fan Midday Show. 93.5107.5 The Fan. Final time here, Fan Midday Show. Will Haskett, appreciate y'all giving me three hours of your time today. Thanks to Jimmy for sitting next to me. Thanks for Eddie turning on my mic half the time. I feel like so bad when I don't do that. It's like, oh, I, it doesn't I come me. here like once every two years and I forget to turn my mic on. It's just not professional. Um, this is the segment where we make the folks some money, right? Let's. I'm adding to this. Let's go. Let's make this happen. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a athlete. This is my way. This is how I win. Trying to be a little bit more efficient than last week. Going to lay the one and a half on the run line for the Los Angeles Angels tonight as they host the Washington Nationals. Taking the New York Yankees in Cleveland on the money line, plus 130 juice there. Also going to take the Tampa Bay Rays laying one and a half on the run line. They are hosting the Boston Red Sox 10 and 9 last week as we try to bounce back throughout this week's plays. Uh, Eddie, I'll go to you. What have I told you? You need to consult with me before you make picks in MLB. Have the Rays lost yet, by the way? No. They have not lost yet. Okay. Give me the Angel. No, just kidding. <laughs> I took the Angels. I know. Give me the Guardians. <laughs> All right. Uh, I've got the Guardians on the money line tonight. I like Shane Bieber at home. I'm sorry. Shane Bieber at home against the Yankees. I, I like that matchup on paper. I'm going to go with the no-run first inning bet in the Astros in the Pirates Ooh. game. I love me some nerfy action. All right. I will also take the Mariners' first five minus 0.5. I love Luis Castillo days. That's easy money because he's always so good through five innings. And then I will take the under four in the Giants and the Dodgers tonight. Those are mine. Will, what do you got? Uh, I'm taking the over on that aforementioned Cubs-Seattle game. I like where the offense is for the Cubs, but I hate where Drew Smiley is right now for the Cubs. I think it's going to be with the uh, weather improving up there in Wrigley. Things starting to change. Give me the over in that game. I don't even know what the over is. because That wasn't even my bet I was going to give you. I was just <laughs> looking at it. I have one bet to give you for this week because we talked about golf. Matt Kuchar is plus 450 for a top 10 finish this week at the RBC Heritage. He did not play in the Masters, didn't qualify for that one. And because this is a designated event, the field is absolutely stacked. So all the top guys are playing there. But that includes John Rahm, who just won the Masters, Scotty Scheffler, all of these guys that grinded out through the week. There are a lot of unmotivated guys making the short trip over to Harbortown Golf Links. Matt Kuchar has more top 10s than he has not in the last decade on this golf course. He absolutely loves this property, including winning it in 2014. And you can get four and a half times your money for a top 10 finish for Matt Kuchar, who's playing really good golf right now. So all of these money lines, minus 110, plus 105, Come to the dark side of golf wagering where we bet with 20 to 1 and 50 to 1 and 100 to 1 odds. And I can get you plus 450 on a top 10 for a guy who's a top 10 machine there. Matt Kuchar, top 10 this week, makes some money. I'm diving in with you because I, I trust your full background on the tour. I tried that whole dark side thing last week, yeah. sprinkling uh, $5 here or there with all those juicy odds on the Masters and, and came up snake eyes, regrettably. I have not seen any head to head matchups posted yet, at least on DraftKings, where I look, we've got three balls and five balls and stuff like that so typically that's where i'll go 
and that's the best spot to go. And I only really bet guys that are getting me plus odds, but typically sure. it's like plus 105 or plus 110 or something like that. But that's the spot to go because you're looking at course fit, a little bit of recent form, and you can find some good matchups. And every now and then you can you know parlay five, six, or seven of those bad boys together, and if you get a really hot week, it can happen. So... Ten and nine last week, though that's good. I mean, yeah. Hey, still, look, as long as we're staying, but you lost money on the Masters. I did. They didn't didn't give all those publicly shared what I was playing, but didn't like recommend them as hey, you got to yeah. lock in and jump with me. This is just hey, this is what I'm rooting for. We had a ton of fun last week laughing at oh, the first round action. My five dollar wager is now as a cash out of two cents. That's not great. That's not what you want to see. Uh, like I said, yeah. Morikawa and Scotty Scheffler were the closest that I had in terms of yeah, they, flirting with stuff. And yeah. yeah, I had a Cameron Young top 10 that was someone invested in. His futures numbers probably aren't as good as they once were at the beginning of the year because of this past week, but he was dipping down a little bit. But I'd still look into some majors futures on Cameron Young the rest of the year. I think definitely the PGA Championship next month. Liverpool will be a weird one for the Open Championship. That'll be weather dependent. And then they're playing in L.A. for the U.S. Open coming up this summer. So uh, some West Coast guys, maybe even a future right now in Xander wouldn't be too bad, I think, looking out there for the U.S. Open. Any truth to the rumor you're going to bet a hen hooker future to the Colts? Is that, is that, is what that can false? I get, or is what, that, what kind of action can I, I get there? I should have came prepared to ask that like question. At any point in time? In or What do you think the odds would be on hen and hooker to the Colts at four? Oh, at four? Oh, I'm sure. How crazy would that be? I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, rivaling sh- back end of the Masters board. worth a shilling here or there. I yeah. don't know. Yeah, I'm fine with that. All right. Well, we'll have to look those up. But at any point in time, him getting drafted, I guess he's working out with. I just saw it come across the scroll up there that Hooker's getting looked at by the Lions today. So there's a team that's sort of lurking near the top of the second round. Uh, we'll see. Hey, thanks for having me in. Appreciate you being here. Oh. Made us smarter in general, particularly across the Masters recap. I've been all over this airways for last week. I guess I'll take a month off and I'll talk to everybody around the PGA Championship. Uh, You know what's next? The ride is coming up next for Jimmy, Eddie. I'm Will Haskett. Have a great rest of your Monday.